Welcome to this episode of Steel Watching, Season 2, Episode 10, Steel Threads. Yay! I'm Eric. Yay! <laughs> I'm Eric, and you are oh not God, Eric. Oh, God, who am I? No, I am not. Am I? <laughs> not this we week, switched? no. Okay, I'm no, Sarah. We're, we're back. Sarah. Yes. yes. Okay. Halloween is over. Okay, by the time they hear this, it's probably past it's Christmas. But <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, anyway. Uh <laughs> yes, buying ourselves some time and some stupidity in public. Anyway, uh, <laughs> yes, season 10, episode, season season two, season episode 10. 10, Steel Threads. Season 10, yes. oh man, that would have been great. As long as <laughs> there were no it? tuna boat marriages and, and Tony Roselli, yes. I would have been on board for a season 10, like Stargate. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, a few things about this episode. First of all, according to Judith Moose's book, Steel Loved After All These Years. You said it right. Good job. Thank you, Judith. (laughs) This episode was originally titled, and this is a head scratcher, Made in Bulgaria. What? Yes. I I don't get it. I I don't get it. I'm sorry. I don't get it. But okay. Okay. I'm going to. I have a couple of questions, and I know you can't answer them, <laughs> but I just have to put them out into the void. One, sure. the word steel doesn't appear anywhere in that. And two, no. Bulgaria? I mean, yeah. okay, there's nothing I mean, in the episode that has anything to do with Bulgaria. No, no, there isn't. And I, I, would... I could even buy it if they were stretching into something like made in Taiwan or, or a place that normally makes like mass-produced clothing or items, but... Mm-hmm. Bulgaria does not spring to mind when I think of that. No. You know which one comes to mind when I hear that title? The one with, um, oh, what's his name? Big heavy set kid oh, with oh, the fish eggs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, shoot. I can't remember his name. But yes, that one would yeah, make that's, some sense. Some sense, yeah. Some more yeah. sense than this makes. Yeah. My, my only thought is that this episode as we get it was so far evolved and removed from what it was originally that yeah it had to have been you know maybe the title originally did make some sense but but yeah what we yeah what we got no it doesn't make any sense that is okay you said you had a couple questions so what that was one of those were the the two those were the two those were just like one what (laughs) oh and before we get into the episode two i wanted to say one other thing and again this will be long after when when this airs, people, mm-hmm. we will – anyway, I don't know what I'm trying to say. But Robert Butler passed away. Yes. And yes, he, he was one of our – the show's founding sort of creative geniuses, creative minds, whatever you want mm-hmm. to call it, has been involved with a lot of TV shows over the years. And so, yeah, just just a a thing to note that it's sad that he passed away and he, he gave us so much entertainment. So thank you, Robert. Yes. Bye-bye, Bob. <laughs> One other thing about this episode, no Mildred. Mildred, yes. Oh my gosh, I, you know, it's funny because she. I was making my notes ahead of time for the next one because mm-hmm. I don't know if you you know this, but I'm having a refractive a uh, lens exchange surgery on my eyes, so I I'm gonna need. She's to, getting robo eyes, uh, bionic eyes, or something. <laughs> and it's funny because I so I did this episode and I did steal eligible the notes for that as well. And she's not really, she's in like two scenes in Steel Eligible as well. So we go two episodes with hardly any Mildred. And it it, it was felt 
I have to say it was felt like when I was doing the notes for Steel Eligible, I actually had to stop. I was three quarters of the way through the episode and I thought, wait, was Mildred in this one? And then I remembered she's in the dinner scene and she's in the scene with Mildred or with Laura, sorry, but she's not in any other scenes. And then I thought back to Steel Threads and I'm like, wait a minute. She's not in that one either at all. Like we get no Mildred. So right. where's Mildred? Justice for um, Mildred. Did she take a vacation? <laughs> well, considering that Bernice was working late nights. Yeah. With like some regularity. Clock, pretty much. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine they would let Mildred have a vacation. Of course, you know, she does still have her friends at the IRS. And if, if you true. don't give me a vacation, yeah, I'm going to just I'll give them a call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's some great leverage. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, let's get on to the whole purpose of our being here. The episode. Awesome. I went with TV guide listing, which okay. says... Laura and Steele slip into the seamier side, get it, seamier side, yeah, huh? of the Same fashion year. world okay. <laughs> on a case involving stolen trade secrets and a vicious sibling rivalry. Dun, dun, dun. dun, dun it's dun, a good dun. one. I like it. Yes. Well, it starts out, we see an older man who we soon find out is Bullets Blaustein, and he's walking through an alleyway full of... Street vendors, clothing, food, etc., and that is the Santee Alley district. Yeah, I looked of this up. <laughs> the fashion district, yes, and it's it's a real thing. Yep. And what we see there is, as far as I can see from the various photos, that's the way it actually looks. It's just kind of like out there, and everybody's got their stuff. Yeah. The reviews on TripAdvisor are not necessarily glowing, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it's there. <laughs> well, I, obviously there to contrast the the fashion mart, which is of course high fashion. So right, which the... actually I see. You know, we see the building in that first shot down the street from the Santee, but I wasn't able to find it on Google Maps. So um, I'm sure it's there. Somebody probably can tell us exactly what the building is. I, I'm guessing it's a hotel, but but I wasn't yeah. able to find that out because I couldn't find it on the map. Yeah. Oh, Google Maps, you just frustrate <laughs> me sometimes. But I mean, but anyway. at the same time, we have a we have something at our fingertips that can literally zoom in on pretty much most places in the world. So that's pretty impressive. Yes, when you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. By the way, I need to talk to you about that thing that's on your kitchen counter there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the satellite showed it to me, yes. Anyway. It's the cat. It was the cat, wasn't it? She sneaks up there when we think she is. Yeah. When she thinks we're not looking, but we know she's there. Yeah. Anyway, so there's lots of clothes on the rack, things being wheeled about, street vendors selling food and such. And we see this old guy step up to a hot dog vendor and steal yeah. a hot dog. <laughs> he's pretty he's he's pretty stealthy too. He just like yeah. nobody even notices it's missing, which is impressive. Well <laughs> I, I mean Let's face it. I mean, in a hot dog cart, you probably wouldn't notice a hot dog missing, but he does it so casually and carefully that nobody notices that you he's get, doing it. You get the impression that he probably does this every day. He's yeah, he's he's well. He, yeah, this is this yeah. is his routine. He just he knows he's like, okay, there's my hot dog, and I'm not gonna lie, I love me some good street meat, so I I can see where he's coming from. <laughs> you you got to get it. <laughs> yeah, well, up here we have reindeer hot dogs. So, uh, anyway, yes, I once had a curry made out of kangaroo. Okay. Yeah. Um, I I once had um, 
I don't remember what it was. It was it was made out of goat. Uh, that was good too. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, the, um, as as we see this man walk off with his his ill gotten goods, <laughs> we see another man, a younger man, driving up in a Volkswagen Carmagia, which. Uh, for anybody who's not aware, that's basically just an old Volkswagen bug that's been redesigned to look like it's fast, but it's not. <laughs> and he pulls it up and he parks and he gets out and checks a piece of paper as he looks around. And then we jump inside uh, what's obviously kind of a flea bag clothing store. Yeah, it it know. sort of reminds me of one of those like places where you can go where it's just like racks upon racks of either used clothing or uh, stuff that has just been put there all willy-nilly that you can get for cheaper than you would normally get if mm -hmm. it's a label brand name, something like that. I don't yeah. like those places but personally, not because they're see me, mm -hmm. but because I get visually overloaded. And if there's, if it's just like all over the place with like little organization, I can't, deal with it and i mm. I'm, I'm not able to to look for anything so <laughs> value village can't do it <laughs> well next we get yeah you know, oh yeah i said we're inside the store and bullets is making his way to the back where they do some either custom uh, sewing made to order clothes or they they tailor existing clothes that somebody might buy and so he's eating his hot dog. He makes his way to that, back to that cash register that's back there. And a woman who we find out is called Mitzi is at the counter and tells him somebody named Al Grossman called again. And he's sending Solly over to collect on that three-year loan. Sounds a bit like a, a loan shark to me. It but, does. Uh, it really does. <laughs> I, but at the same time, would a loan shark do a three-year loan? I, I don't know. Yeah. Anybody that's done business with a loan shark, yeah, yeah. let us know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're not in hiding anywhere or anything like that. Yeah, right. But yeah, anyway. you wouldn't want to <laughs> reveal your location. <laughs> anyway, Bullets somewhat indignantly says, well, I'll just call him back. Tell him I've been meaning to surprise him. And Mitzi says, well, money would surprise him. <laughs> and uh, Bullets, uh, we learn a lot about Bullets right here because he says, well, a few this. alterations to the checking account. And if yeah. you're tucked there in the deposit withdrawal slips and before the computer digests its mistake, our money will be there to cover it. She says, what money? Maybe and he says, maybe they left Mildred out because she would have sniffed this guy out with her IRS powers <laughs> immediately. <laughs> and Bullets be. would be in jail before the episode got got going, you know? <laughs> She'd be. find his nip. She'd find his tuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she says, what money? And he says, from our new summer line. And see, I've got a feeling it's going to be the greatest season yet. And then... The young man from the Carmagia walks in and Bullets rushes up to greet him. And the young man asks for Bullets and Bullets. Yes, I'm I'm Bullets. Formerly the Prince of Pleats. Okay. So, yeah. That's a, he's proud of that title. I, yeah, that is a thing he is proud of. And you're right. We do we do learn a lot about Bullets here because in the, in the I don't know what, two minutes that we've gotten mm -hmm. so far of him in this episode, we learn mm -hmm. that he's struggling like his business is not thriving he owes a ton of money but also he's extremely positive he doesn't anybody else in this position would potentially be stressed and freaking out and 
he just seems to like, he's like, this is going to be our greatest season yet. And he doesn't seem to kind of want to acknowledge any of the bad. He just wants to like focus on the good. And some it's people charming. call it delusional. It, it would be, yeah, it is, but it's also <laughs> kind of charming. Like it's, it's cute. You can't really be mad at him. He's not, even though you should, he can't. So unless you're doing yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's he's a lovable scuzzball. Yeah, yeah, lovable scuzzball. Yeah, he's kind of like I can Maury Singer a little bit like that. Like yes, exactly. Well, he's got well, that charm. <laughs> and and Maury does come up later in my notes, by the way. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the uh, the young man comes in and Bullets tries to lead him back to look at some fabrics because the young man said, "Hey, I've got a friend that said you can make me a coat." But the young man's not interested in anything that Bullets has. He pulls out a big old hunk of fabric and says, he'd like the jacket made out of this material. And Bullets looks at it and burlap mufflers. Okay. He's I need not to, impressed. I need, to, I need to pause us here for a second because okay. this has been driving me crazy. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, this must be an American-Canadian thing because anytime I hear the word muffler, I think of something for my car. Like Right. And so I had to Google it because I, I was okay. like, what on earth are they? Because it, it comes up in the Christmas the episode scarf. too. Okay, why not just say scarf? Muffler sounds like something for your... <laughs> it's like... I, well. It comes up in the Christmas episode too when he says she's probably gotten us all muffler. So I Googled what is the difference between a muffler and a scarf? Because to me, that's all a scarf. Anything that goes around okay. your neck is a scarf. But apparently well, according to... Well, okay, fair. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> according to Google, a scarf is made from a smooth, silk-like material and can be worn around the neck or draped in an attractive manner. A muffler is made from wool or warm material and is wrapped around the neck to keep a person warm in the winter. This must be okay. a regional thing because I have never, ever, ever in Canada heard anyone refer to a scarf as a muffler. It's always just a scarf. So I'm thinking that this is an, an America versus Canada thing, but it's interesting to me that there is we win. We supposed win. <laughs> to be a difference between muffler and scarf. Because if I hear muffler, again, I think of automobiles. So, yeah, I, anyway. I, I do tend to as well. <laughs> I, I mean, I think muffler for the neck uh, drape, neck decoration, neck warming thing. I think it's an older term that's not commonly used these days. Yeah, that could be. Uh, I, I, um, I understand the difference in the definition, you know, is yeah, due to the material being used and the primary purpose warm. of it. But yeah, it yeah, I, I agree. Maybe it's just because in Canada, the only thing you're wearing around your neck is is to keep you warm. Like, let's face mm -hmm. it, we're not walking around in silk, attractively draped scarves in <laughs> freaking January. We're wearing like wool scarves or mufflers yeah. or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> well. Yeah, and you as well, since you've had a a bit of snow. I was gonna say <laughs> that yeah, we've had like twenty one inches in this last few days. Oh, and <laughs> I gotta admit, you know, I go outside in a t shirt and um, just a an oh, you're that guy. Okay, yeah. <laughs> There's always I'm one sorry, guy. I'm you're that, that guy. guy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I say. <laughs> anyway, so uh, the man. Hands him the material, which Bullets looks at and is not impressed with. But the young man says he wants a blazer, 42 long, and he pulls out a wad of bills from his pocket and hands Bullets a couple of hundred dollar bills and says he needs it by noon tomorrow. It's a birthday present, you see, for his, his father. 
And Bullets kind of looks at him and says, mm, 24 hours doesn't really seem to be like <laughs> enough time. And the young man not stupid. <laughs> buys him some extra time with another $100 bill. And, uh, well, okay, maybe 24 hours is enough. It's so. amazing how that extra money somehow stretches the fabric of time and space. Absolutely. Yeah. And after all, <laughs> who is he to disappoint a customer? Right, exactly. So so the man gives Bullis his personal information. Mark Prine, 806 Surf Street, Santa Monica, which is a real address in Playa del Rey, although from the street map's view, um, the actual location is much nicer than what we see. <laughs> uh-huh. So anyway... Next, we jump and we see Mark Prine in his green Carmen Ghia pull up in front of his house. He exits the car, begins to walk into the house, but the front door's open. It shouldn't be open. So he starts calling out for Lila. Enters the house, puzzled, continues to call out for Lila. He enters the kitchen, still looking, and then he hears a sound behind him. He turns around and is confronted by a bearded man who begins demanding the claim check for the coat. Prine asks, how does he know about the coat? The man says, it doesn't matter that he knows. He knows. And Prine stupidly asks, oh, did Lila tell you? Uh, yeah. Sure, yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, sure. What you said, yeah. <laughs> and the bearded man, in a somewhat threatening tone, insists that she said that Prine would be a good sport about it and don't disappoint him, which, yeah, that doesn't sound good. So Prine, realizing the predicament he's in, turns toward the counter, grabs a pot of hot coffee, and tosses the coffee on the bearded man. So this was a question that I had, because if it were truly hot coffee, it should have burned his face, like, really severely, and we should have seen that throughout the rest of the episode. So I'm thinking that he came into the house and the coffee was already there. So I'm thinking that the coffee had been sitting there a while. Well, I will agree with part of you. Part of you? Which part? <laughs> the, the part that's moving your lips and talking, yes. That's good, uh, okay. Because my feet cannot be trusted. <laughs> yeah, obviously the coffee was there for a while, but the coffee pot was on. I zoomed in, and the little red light is lit. And there's no timer on it because it's an old-fashioned, you know, it's either on or off right, coffee right, right. pot. So... Yeah, I, that was a question. And the other question is, why did somebody turn it on and then leave the house? That's odd. That is very odd. You would not. Yeah. Unless unless he, he made his coffee in the morning, drank it, and Walked there was and leftover it. coffee and forgot it. Which That's I guess. But then it would be hot. Do, but. And the bearded man would have been burned. So it's not Very hot. severely. Yeah. So it's cold. Yeah. But it's on. So, yeah, very confusing. Anyway, it, after it having is, the yeah. coffee, <laughs> after having the coffee thrown into the man's face, Prine runs or tries to run past the intruder, but the intruder grabs him. They struggle. And in the process, Prine is thrown back against the refrigerator and strikes the back of his head on the top corner of the refrigerator and then slowly collapses to the floor. Dead. Is this the longest opening that we've had without Steel and Laura anywhere to be seen? Because it's a good chunk into the episode before they even show up. Yeah, uh, it is. It's uh, five and a half minutes before they show up. Over five and a half minutes. Yeah. Well, no, that that includes, I'm sorry, that includes the uh, titles and the previews. So 
Uh, it's going to be less than that. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's 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 a pretty long. Hmm. I just because it's, it's, I just realized as you're going through it that yeah that they don't show up until this this next scene. Interesting. Yeah, and at the next scene is where we're at now, and we are at a meat market. I, I mean, fashion, <laughs> fashion show. show. <laughs> <laughs> And on the drapes backing the stage and the model's runway is the name, Julian Barron, blazing out in bright neon lights. Yep. Hot pink. (laughs) I guess that was a thing back then. Hot pink. It was actually. It was. It was very, I mean, (laughs) I was a kid, so, but I do remember, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I say this as if I was like a wizened, uh, you know, I I was one. I was one here. <laughs> Back <Yeah>. in the day. <laughs> anyway, yes. go ahead. Anyway, so we, we see a group of models walk up from behind the stage to the top and then out onto the runway and then back, only to be replaced by another group of models, all to the sound of applause from the audience. And terrible And apparently music. slit skirts are all the rage at this time because yeah. nearly every long dress yeah. in the show is a slit skirt style. In the audience, we see one Remington Steele smoking a cigar, wearing thick-rimmed glasses, who is also applauding vigorously. He's having a great time. Oh, yes. (laughs) He's living his best life here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Julian Barron isn't. We see him, and he is smoking and pacing, and he is nervous as all get out. Yeah. And on the stage, yet another group of models appears, and among this new group of models is a long-legged field darter named Laura Holt. (laughs) <laughs> I I gotta say, yes, that dress looks great on her. She might not enjoy this this runway situation, but I I think that that is a really flattering cut for her. Yeah, yeah. I I mean I'm I'm not a high fashion <laughs> guy, and so I you know, in general, these kinds of dresses really don't. They all look you know, the same. I, can, I can see somebody, <laughs> I can see somebody wearing them at a very, very fancy party. But oh yeah, yeah. Generally speaking, it, it's not. That's not. Yeah, that's not going to appeal to me. But anyway, well, that's it's it's fashion shows. That's kind of what they are. If you watch any, like, and and to be fair, I've not watched a ton, but I've seen some. And anytime you see a fashion show, the fashions that the models are debuting are always an exaggerated form of what you're going to actually see in the stores. So that's why you get like the weird stuff in some of the runway shows where people are wearing like paper bags and then they have stuff written on them or, you know, weird designs that are kind of just outrageous. In this case, it's probably like higher end. It's kind of like the art shows where you get like crazy bananas taped to a wall as art or pipkins going for (laughs) tons of money. Well, you know. And this kind of leads into a question that I had in my mind. I didn't put it on my notes, but I, I kind of – I don't get it with fashion shows. I mean, <laughs> I, I understand that you're showing off the latest dresses that you're going to be selling to buyers. Okay. But why this obsession by the general public I, – I, and I use that term kind of loosely because i mean obviously not everybody in the general public is obsessed with fashion shows but there is a segment of the general public that has nothing to do with the fashion industry that is obsessed by fashion shows and uh, first of all as you said these dresses are often exaggerated versions they don't actually represent what's going to be sold and secondly 
what do I care what a size negative zero yeah. woman is going to be you know, wearing and looks good on her because that style dress is not going to look good and flattering on somebody who's got a normal figure. Well, that's the thing. That's what they're trying to sell you. They're trying to sell you the dream, right? You see these women who, yeah. and it's kind of like any type of style that looks good when it comes to fast fashion almost never fits the way that it would. Because when you think about it, these models have these clothes tailored to look good on them specifically. Right. So you yourself. Basically, they're custom into, dresses. They for are. Each they're person. custom dresses. Yeah. And so on the rack, no, you're not going to find something that looks good, at least not the same way. You might find clothing that flatters you, obviously, but that model is definitely not going to be representative of what gets sold in the stores because she's had that dress made for her. Um, but it is sort of the lie that the fashion industry sells to to women and to men that, you know, you're going to look like this. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm going to look like Pierce Brosnan if I just buy yeah. a tuxedo. <laughs> yeah. uh, my wife might like that, but yeah, it, she'd have to be really, really <laughs> blind to think that that's the case. But anyway... <laughs> Hey, but, once I get know, my I eye surgery, if it goes horribly <laughs> wrong, maybe that's maybe that's what will happen. <laughs> but, you know, I, and I guess that's one of the problems that the fashion industry would have if they wanted to do it correctly is that you yeah. would have to break the body types of men and women down into various groups and then design clothes specifically for that body style group. You'd have to sell clothes for what people. Works, <laughs> Yeah, well, but also you'd have to break them down into multiple segments yes. and you'd have to yeah. take the same basic design and redesign it, restructure it for each body type in order to for it to look flattering or to look good on yeah. that particular body type. It, it's getting know. there, but it, it also now with there being so much choice, it becomes really difficult. I went to buy a pair of jeans the other day and oh, my God. There are a gazillion different quote unquote styles and cuts and fits. My my husband, I hate him for this. He walks into a store, <laughs> he picks out his size, he walks out, he doesn't even bloody try it on because he doesn't need to. He knows his he knows his length, he knows his waist, and all of the jeans fit him. And I hate him for it because it's just so flippin' easy. Whereas I go into a store and there's there's short. There's long, there's regular, there's straight leg, there's flare, there's skinny jeans, there's ultra well, skinny jeans, there's curvy, there's boyfriend, there's mid-rise, high-rise, low-rise. Good God. To I be don't... fair, though, to be fair, there are various styles of jeans for men. You've got the regular fit, you've got the slim fit, you've got the relaxed fit, you've got the boot you cut, have... you've got the straight cut. So we, you know, on, on the male <laughs> side, we do have a few choices to pick through, too, but... Like Scott, I am the kind of person, okay, I know I want this style jean and yeah, I need it in this size. And I go in and I find the ones that I like the price of. Yeah. Or, yeah, well, you know, or I know the brand. <laughs> or I know too. the brand and I'm, I'm comfortable with buying that brand. And I just pick up two or three of them and I walk them to the register, I plop them down, and. There well, you now go. I hate, now I hate you too. Now I hate you too. Because <laughs> like we, when I bought those jeans the other day, I bought two pairs, okay? And they scanned the thing and, and my Scott looks at me and he goes, that's $100? And I'm like, yeah, that's actually pretty cheap for women's yeah, jeans. Well, $100 is, is, is pretty good. And, women's jeans are and expensive too. you have pockets, okay? 
You get pockets. Again with the pockets. You get real functional <laughs> pockets. Anyway, we should probably back Yeah, to the except episode. for that little pocket. Except for that little pocket above the right-hand side. You know. What is that what for? What is that for? I Does don't anybody know. know? No. Okay. <laughs> if anyway. anyone knows that's listening, that knows what that little pocket is for, please tell us. Put it in the, the Facebook group or email us or, or whatever. But somebody let us know what that tiny little pocket within a pocket is for because yeah it's annoying <laughs> anyway so laura and the other model that she is featured with do their strut they go back up onto the top of the stage platform and then out through the back and then we see behind the curtains as the two of them step out of the spotlight and into that dark area and laura very sardonically comments to the other model that she hopes that they put battle ribbons in their pay envelope yeah <laughs> and the other model asks you know, is this her first major? And Laura says, well, not exactly, but it may be my last. Yeah. And seemingly tired, Laura leans against the table when suddenly Remington Steele appears. She knows how to walk a runway, though. Like, yeah, she looked like she and which makes kind of the nonsense of her not knowing how to walk in the, the My Fair Steel kind of bizarre because she mm-hmm. she seems to know what she's doing. She might not like it, but she definitely has a. The you know she's she's yeah. confident on the runway. Yeah, yeah, and we've seen her run in high heels, so I mean she yeah. can walk in them. So yeah, yeah. anyway, she, she knows what she's doing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Steele shows up and he grabs Laura's rear and begins rubbing his uh, hand over it, and in a very much put on accent, pretends to be admiring oh the fabric. What? Okay, saying, I got two wonderful texture, here. beautiful sheen, so sleek and so touchable. <laughs> I got two questions here. <laughs> okay, question number one. Only two. Well, okay, more than two, but this is. But we'll limit it to two. Okay, gotcha. Actually, one's a one's a question. One is a comment. The grabbing her and the the prodding her and and all that stuff. It's funny at first. It loses its humor after he continues to slap at least two other women's butts. Mm-hmm. What is with the butt slapping? The last two episodes, he did that in the episode before, and it's, it's dude, not cool, not cool. So that's the comment. Okay. <laughs> The question, he's English already. Why? Why? Why with the Leela and the weird, like, he sounds like an Englishman with a head cold, and I don't get it. <laughs> he already has an English accent. He doesn't need to fake one. Well, I guess he's trying to come off as being kind of a lowbrow Englishman. <laughs> well, he <it> works. <laughs> yeah. Well, he so, could do, I mean, he could do Johnny Todd. That would, well, I guess that wouldn't make sense for a fashion buyer. But Leela, like every time he speaks in that horrifically awful accent, I cringe. I know, it's terrible. <laughs> so obnoxious. Uh, so yeah. anyway, Laura spins around and with a very unfriendly and untouchable texture in her voice, threatens, oh, yeah. to, uh, threatens him and says, watch it, Buster. She and looks then like the she's other about model. to smack him. <laughs> yeah. And then the other model, who we soon learn will be the aforementioned Leela, Leela. <laughs> leans over and warns Laura to take it easy. After all, the buyer's always right, which, of course, is a variation on the old worn out, misunderstood, and much abused cliche uh, about the customer always being right. Customer's no, always not. a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anyway, uh, we, we won't get into that. That's a whole other conversation yeah, we've already, that we've I can spend 20 minutes rant. on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you've had a rant. I, I, I get a rant. Anyway, yeah. uh, continuing his charade, he excuses his behavior by informing her that he's just testing their material. 
you know, after all, if he's going to buy, he has to know what he's buying. I think he uses the word merchandise, which is even worse. Uh, well, he says material at first, and then he says merchandise, which is... Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, mm. Yeah. Anyway, so Laura, having taken off the long black gloves that she'd been wearing, reaches over and drapes the glove around his neck, saying, this is what you're buying. Yep. And Lila <laughs> warns Laura that this sort of behavior toward a buyer is buying her a short career. Hmm. Yeah, that... Kind of like the, the what well, we had it with scene stealers, how paying direct reference to sort of the casting couch or the, in this mm-hmm. case, they call it the meat line, the idea that they have to not only uh, appease these buyers, but flirt with them or pretend to enjoy the inappropriate attention that they are paying to them in order to advance yeah. in the, the modeling world, yeah. which is ugh, it's gross. Yeah. So anyway, several more models show up and Steele makes a few more appropriately inappropriate comments. Yeah. Uh, Slapping more butts. Yeah. After he suggests that if it were up to him, he'd take all the ladies back to Birmingham <laughs> and introduce them to the queen mum. Uh, Birmingham Lila and the to... queen mum. Wait a minute. No. <laughs> uh, um, what? Shit. <laughs> yeah. I don't think the guy from Birmingham would... Uh, be spending much time to the queen mum but anyway doesn't he Lila say he's attempts- also from marks and spencer uh believe- yeah something like that yeah yes. yeah that's kind of like a mid-range um department store which is you'd think he'd be going higher <laughs> anyway so lila 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 now, now he's got me doing it uh, <laughs> lila Call attempts- Doris, it's faster <laughs> Lila attempts to ingratiate herself with Steele, saying that, oh, all you chaps from England are so friendly. And he introduces himself as Sam St. Cloud of, as you said, Marks and Spencer. And then swatting her rear, flirtingly tells her to look him up the next time she's on the aisle. Yeah. Another one of those butt slaps. Laura sarcastically asks if he's forgotten her. And yeah. then she drags him away from Lila. I'm Lila. gonna do that. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna keep doing that. I'm sorry. Just go. Anyway. Just do it. It's okay. Just go. Ahead. And she's scolding him as she's dragging him through backstage and saying, "Spare me your pranks. It's enough that I have to slither through that meat line out there. It's demeaning. It's degrading." But she's also undressing down and to it's her teddy in front of Steele and everybody else without any apparent sense of being I, demeaned okay. or degraded. That is literally in my comments. I have. Laura doesn't seem to have any issues changing in front of Steele or her client, which only goes to show that she's, I, I saw it as a different thing, that she's focused, she's driven. She's also not ashamed of her body. She's fine with showing it off on her own terms, but doesn't like to be put on display. That's kind of what I got from it. Like she'll, she'll change where she needs to. And cause we saw that with the motel room and I think the tempered steel where she's, trying to entice the client and so she, she ends up in her underwear right so yeah running and, and outside in, yeah yeah and in vintage <laughs> steel too where she she yeah i want you to the next forget the next five minutes of your life you know and and has that so she has no yeah. issues with people seeing her body it's just the act of people seeing her body as a means of only her body right not looking at her as a person or as a object to be prodded or poked or butt slapped or whatever it is in this case she's just doing her job she has to change she might have another 
I, I don't know if she was supposed to go back onto the runway or not, but oftentimes yeah. you have to do these quick changes, right? So right. this seems more to me that she's, this is part of the job and she's totally fine with it because backstage, she's not an object of desire. It's more about getting the show and doing doing her job. So, Okay. So anyway, Steele, no longer in character, absolutely comments that he's sure that it is all that as he ogles the blonde that is walking past and Laura warns him, eyes front, St. Cloud. He's ogling Laura too when she gets into that well, teddy. Yeah. And to yeah. be fair, that's, again, not an unattractive teddy on her. So so uh, as Laura warns him um, off of the blonde, Julian Barron, who is highly anxious, approaches and starts whining. Oh Are you God. two on top of things? Yeah. <laughs> Steele assures him that all is in order, having personally checked the credentials of every buyer there. And realizing that Laura's standing there beside him with only her teddy on, and he yeah. kind of glances down at her. And, yeah, <laughs> and Miss Holt has also done the same with the models. So, yes, he's definitely he's he's taking the yeah he's appreciating his, <laughs> yeah exactly the long legged field darter. <laughs> yes. Anyway, Julian Barron's paranoia and overwrought imagination will not be satisfied, no matter what they say. He insists that. Nothing they've done is enough because even as they speak, everyone yeah. in the building, all of New York, all of Paris is trying to steal his designs. He's sure that Halston has tried to bribe the sketch artist, convinced that Blass has sent flowers to his cleaning lady, and positive that Valentino <laughs> has tried to hide hidden cameras in the theater. Okay, so uh, I have to ask. Get this guy ask, some professional help. I have to ask, and I find myself wondering this throughout the entire episode. Okay. He's clearly a high he's he's clearly like a a highly sought after designer to have a runway show that is considered to be a major runway show. He's got models walking the runway. They are when Lila says is this your first major, there's buyers there. Mm -hmm. So he's clearly in the fashion world made his mark. Is he as as has he made it as as much as he thinks he does? Is he as highly respected as he thinks he is because he's, I think he, we find thinks, out later he isn't. Yeah. Cause he's, he thinks that all these Paris, New York, all these people are trying to steal his designs, but are they like, is, is, is he that high up or, or does he just sort of envision himself to be that way? Well, I think at the, toward the climax of the episode, we find out that he isn't all these things, but okay. in his mind, he is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because it just feels like it does feel like he has some clout in the fashion world to have all those buyers there to have that sort of runway show to be. He, he's got money, Again, he's, but I think we find out that it's not him. Well, no, no, no. no. He's. I'm not saying he's the one driving the bus, but his name is out there at least. In in well, some his respect. name is out there attached to dollar bills. Yeah. I I think the people that are there are there because they've been induced to be there by other considerations, other factors, by someone behind the scenes. Yeah. Not because of his his design work. But anyway, we'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, anyways, like I said, let's get this guy some professional help. He really <laughs> needs it. He's psychotic. Anyway, Laura tries to succeed. And assuring him where steel has obviously failed. And yeah. she says that the steel agency is known for its competence, its class, 
And, and then she pauses and yells, stop that man, as she points toward bullets, bullets <laughs> who has secreted himself behind a rack of dresses, small camera in hand, taking photos of the dresses. Yep. But jigs up, he takes off running, and Laura and Steele pursue. He runs out of the backstage and into the crowd. And as he does, okay, I got a question on this one. He's pointing over his shoulders at Steele, hollering yeah. at no one in particular, big buyer from New York, unlimited credit. And, of course, the men in the crowd begin reaching out to steal to his business him. cards, slowing yeah. him down. Exactly. I, I, it's, uh, yeah, I was confused, If the crowd too. consists of buyers <laughs> and people from the fashion media, why would they care that Steele is just another buyer? I know. I, I was, that was one of my questions as well, why that would be. You would think that that would be something that would work backstage with the mm -hmm. models. But mm -hmm. because they'd want to be repped by the buyers and, and whatnot, but I don't, it, yeah, I don't know. And Laura's out there in her Teddy. <laughs> Still, she's yes. running out there after bullets. Mm -hmm. She, <laughs> yeah, but yeah it, but, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that's like, um, that, that's like somebody running through a store being chased by somebody and then they're hollering to the customers. There's a customer. There's a customer. Yeah, lots of money. Big wallet. <laughs> so what? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I was confused. I mean, unless too. it's a Black Friday sale and that oh, person God. is is grabbing that one thing that's left <laughs> that you know, somebody else wants and then they have to be beaten down. Yeah, no, See, it, you, it made no sense to me. Canada has started doing the Black Friday thing, which is super confusing to me because we don't have Thanksgiving in November. So <laughs> I, I know why they, I know why the, the stores are doing it. They're doing it to uh -huh. try to keep people from crossing the border to shop on, on your side of things. But uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, so then we see outside Bolts is trying to make his escape. Steel's still in pursuit. Laura has stayed back, but Steele is still being slowed down by the crowd that's followed him outside. And as he tries to pursue Bullets through the street fair, he loses track of him. Bullets makes his way back to the shop, but he's unaware that the bearded man is also following him. And Bullets hands a rolls of film to Mitzi and tells her to stow it. <laughs> she slips it beneath the lining of a jacket she's sewing on and then proceeds to stitch up the film. She's done inside this before. The jacket. She, she, this yes. is, she doesn't even question it. She just slips it in and starts, you want me to double stitch it? Like she knows exactly what she's doing. <laughs> you know, it's like this guy's entire career at this point or, or <laughs> for a very long time has been yeah. stealing, stealing people's designs and doing knockoffs. Yep. But yeah, gets old hand to him. So anyway, the bearded man comes in and hands him a claim check and Bolt studies it and says, mm, yeah, I, I, I'm prying, right? The guy with the turtle shell glasses. And Bearded Man says, yeah, he, he asked me to pick it up for him. And Bullets questions him, but, you know, the Bearded Man kind of trying to intimidate him says, is that a problem? Suggesting that maybe it better not be a problem. Bullets yeah. absolutely assures him, no, no, no problem. It's a pleasure. And he just deliberately gives a false description of the jacket Asking, yep. it's the gabardine with the elbow patches, right? As a way of kind of confirming his suspicions that, that yeah, all is that not on not. the up and up. Yeah. Which is really yeah. clever when you think about it. Is. it because it, it, it probably isn't all that unusual for somebody to say, hey, could you pick up my coat from the tailor or whatever? Mm -hmm. 
But this is a, a clever little way of, of confirming that this guy is not really supposed to be there. Yeah, because, I mean, Bullets, he, he kind of had a feeling that something wasn't right yeah. for whatever reason. But anyway, the bearded man agrees to the false description and yeah. Bullets goes into the back, <laughs> grabs a garment bag and pulls out a gabardine jacket with elbow patches, just like he described, which is also not the jacket that they made for Mark Prine and Mitzi. Always trying to look out for bullets, but probably rarely succeeding, yeah. asks what Mr. Prine is going to say when he finds out he's got the wrong coat. And Mitzi, or Bullets, tells her, work with me, Mitzi. There's a man out there that wants something that doesn't belong to him. And Mitzi sarcastically asks, uh, that's what I like about you, Bullets. Always thinking about the other fella. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like Mitzi. She I, I do, too. I do, too. She's good. <laughs> it's a shame she didn't have more to do in this. Anyway, Bullets brings out the jacket and is bragging to it about the, to the bearded man when Steele, cigar still in his mouth, still wearing the glasses, comes in and he's stomping and he's pointing and hollering, he's mad. you! <laughs> Me? And the bearded man thinks Steele's addressing him, but no, Bullets. <laughs> he, and that's who he's there to confront. The bearded man doesn't seem to know what to do, but Steele grabs the jacket from Bullets, hands it to the man. And as the bearded man slips out, Steele announces himself as being Remington Steele of Remington Steele Investigations. And Bullets is shocked and in, he, in, indignant. A gumshoe? He hired a gumshoe? <laughs> I love the way he says that. <laughs> All right. He wins. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I like the fact that Steele points out that, yeah, given the circumstances, the decision was warranted. And as you said, Bullets seems to admit defeat. He goes back into the office and with one hand takes the garment bag from Mitzi and at the same time with his other hand slips into a dress drawer and grabs a roll of film. And keeping that hand with the film hidden from Steele, he slips his hand back into his own jacket pocket. And then with a false sense of failure, he hands Steele the film with a despondent, he wins, he always wins. <laughs> and Steele seemingly at least sharp sharp enough to be slightly confused at his rather easy victory, tells Bullets, thank you. I'm I'm sure Mr. Barron will be very grateful. <laughs> and then we get more information on Bullets, who responds with a bitter laugh and then launches into his tirade. Julian Barron wouldn't be grateful <laughs> if he jumped up and kicked him where he sits. I, I think he said it, <laughs> he if, was, if, it, if it bit him where he sits. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah, which makes it even funnier. <laughs> And he walks over and he stands in front of the sign that he's very proud of that reads, Bullets Blaustein, high fashion, formerly Prince of Pleats. Yeah. He points to the sign, Pleats, Mr. Steele. 25 years ago, this was my calling card. The original design was Baron's, but the hope, the vision, the dream, that was mine. That filter stole the, my dream the day he walked off with those designs. Designs I paid for, sent him through school for, wiped his nose for, and now he begrudges me a lousy <laughs> roll of film. When you say it that way. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and he, he spits at Steele's feet. Uh, yeah, he's not happy. No, anyway, he is not. <laughs> Steele cautiously states that one gets the distinct impression that there's more between Bullets and Mr. Barron than mere acquaintances. And in a final fit of anger, Bullets shouts, Bite your tongue, Mr. Steele! And then, quietly and intensely and coldly, he states, 
they were brothers. Nothing more. He gives a good performance here. Oh, yeah. Like, he, he this goes guy's from, great. He is good. He goes from comical to sympathetic in a way that, yeah. that is, is really well done, that, that doesn't feel forced when he says we were brothers, nothing more. Because, like, the whole Julian wouldn't know grateful if it bit him where he sits. Like, that's funny. Mm-hmm. And then, and you can see that he genuinely, that anger is real. And then when he, he turns into that, we were brothers, nothing more like steel is affected by this. And yeah, it, it could be potentially because when he sees family who don't appreciate each other, who are estranged, that impacts mm-hmm. him because of his own background, but he Which can we saw also, before. yeah, with, yeah, yeah. With the sisters and, and this, this one is, he feels sad for him. You can tell it. On, you can see it on his face, mm-hmm. which is, yeah. Well, he's, he, I think he's also a little bit confused about. Why one has an accent, the, the other the doesn't. <laughs> yeah. The venom. <laughs> yes. You know, it's because it is, it's, it's very, clearly there is a huge, huge issue here between these brothers. Yeah. To say that no, we were only brothers, nothing we were more. Just family. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's Ouch. yeah, that's pretty <laughs> Anyway, so we have a time jump and we are in Steele's office. And on the screen, almost filling the entire screen, we see a photo of nothing being yep. held up in front of the camera. It's a photo that is completely black. Whoops. And Julian Barron who's holding the phone, sarcastically begins expounding on the artistic qualities <laughs> of the photo. This Notice the like subtle this. symmetry, the artist's skillful use of subterfuge. Yeah. And Julian hands the photo to his assistant, Francois, who ponders the mystery of unexposed film. Okay. I have to ask. Okay. They're gay. They're a couple. Yeah. Well... Yeah, I don't know about That's the second the subtext. Half. I don't know if they're a, cu- a couple, but oh, certainly I, they're I, business partners. But yeah, they're both. They're both. I I one hundred percent got for me anyway, and 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 you may not have read it this way, but I throughout the entire episode read this as the reason why he's so fiercely loyal to Francois and why he overlooks everything that eventually he finds out Francois has done. And the mm-hmm. way that they react to each other, like the way Francois sort of touches him or steps in for him. Like, yes, he has his own interests because he's the bad guy, but like they're together. At least that's that's how I read this whole episode, that this is his not not just his business partner, but his partner, which is why he's so profoundly shocked when he finds out there's more to him than he thought. And it's all subtext. And, and I mean, I, again, somebody else might not read it this way, but like. It's really skillfully done as subtext, in my opinion, because it's through the roof. Just the way that they move together, the way that they sort of interact with one another. I don't know. I Well, I, I definitely is... read them as, as both being gay. My take on it was that it wasn't so much that they were a romantic couple, but Machiavellian couple. We'll, we'll get into it at, yeah. at the end of the episode. But it's more like Francois was controlling Julian simply because as a a power move that pleased him. He, he got his jollies out of being manipulative and that 
it wasn't necessarily a physical relationship between the two. But I mean, well, I'm, I don't, I'm I don't doubt to... you're right about that. I just think it, they play it as on Julian's part that I think that again, other yeah, people I, I'm might not... not see it the same way, but like I, I see it as them. They are a couple and that's how he controls Julian. That's how he manipulates Julian. I'm not discounting your theory. I just didn't read it that way as the primary yeah, that's element fair. to the relationship. My view was that the primary element of the relationship was that it was a Machiavellian uh, relationship with Francois being in charge and the manip manipulator and possibly using Julian's homosexuality as one of the means of control. Oh, absolutely. Him. Yeah. So, but anyway... So yes, they're they're pondering the mystery of unexposed film. <laughs> Francois handles hands the print to Laura, and she hands the print to Steele, and she's trying to assure the gentleman that yes, there is an explanation. And then, of course, we see a similarly a pile of similarly black imaged photos yeah. piled on the desk. <laughs> and Julian says, "Yeah, there's an explanation. Mister Steele was snored." Yeah, and, which is, is how you can see that they are related because. For, to my knowledge, and I didn't look this up, so if I'm wrong, I apologize, but Schnord, mm -hmm. I think, is a, a Jewish term, and Blaustein, a Jewish name, and Bullets mm -hmm. very much has more of the the qualities that would associate with a, a character. He uses more of the terms, like chutzpah and things mm -hmm. like that. So this is, this is sort of like Julian has... He's changed his accent. He's changed the way he moves. He's changed the way he speaks. He's changed everything about himself to appeal to a different sub subsection of the the of society, high society, whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it. But every he uses snore. He's been snored. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to get there, but I'll okay. get there. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Not a problem, not a problem. Oh, no. But Steele doesn't recognize the term, and he asks, is it a technical term? And Francois <laughs> gives a kind of false explanation. He says it means finagled, to rob Peter but not quite pay Paul. Yeah. Now, schnorrer, a schnorrer is a term of reproach for a Jewish beggar having some pretensions of respectability. In contrast to the ordinary house-to-house -house beggar, whose business hmm. is known and easily recognized, the schnorrer assumes a gentlemanly appearance, disguises oh. his purpose, gives evasive reasons for asking for assistance, and is not satisfied with small favors, being indeed quite indignant when they are huh. offered. Okay. And, um, yeah, so it's definitely a, uh, it, according to the Jewish Encyclopedia, it is a Judeo-German term. So, I, I'm going to admit yeah. that I, I did try to look it up, but could not figure out how to spell it. <laughs> and gave up quite quickly. I had to go to the script. To, <laughs> okay. To find it. Yes. God, I, I should have done that because I kept typing in different variations of it and it was nothing was coming up. So <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, it's it's definitely yes. Um huh. yeah, definitely uh oh <laughs> mind mind fart here. Um yeah, what you said. Uh like a Jewish yeah. slang term, sort of thing. Yes. Gotcha. So uh Yiddish. Yeah. Yiddish. That's term, what I was yes. trying to think of. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Steele admits that, yes, with some embarrassment, the man did schnorrer him, giving him some cock and bull story about Julian Barron being his long lost brother. And rabbit hole, I yep. looked up cock and bull story. 
Okay. <laughs> what did what end up on your search history is what I would like to know. Because does your wife know? <laughs> yeah. So it's um, according to the U.S. dictionary, the expression has an intriguing origin stemming from the 17th century. It is believed to be associated with two inns in England: the Cock and the Bull, both located on the main road between London and Birmingham. Bermina. Interesting. Yeah. Travelers and coachmen would often stop at these inns, engaging in exaggerated tales and stories to pass the time. Interesting. Okay. So, anyway, so Julian indignantly responds that Bullets, yes, is my brother, and that's what worries him. He says, <laughs> by tomorrow morning, 600 illegal aliens slaving by candlelight will have converted my $7,000 originals into $7 rags. The women in Beverly Hills, to whom I sell, will be viewing my greatest creations on the backs of their hired help. So this is where I think that he is at least serving some higher class segment of the population because if his clothing is going for $7,000 and it's being worn by women in Beverly Hills, he's not small time. He's at least, he might not be somewhat, he might not be sought after by everyone in Paris and New York, but he's, he's definitely not. He's got some clientele. Yeah. He's, he's got, yeah. Yeah. I had a problem with the whole idea of, Oh, my hired help is wearing a nice dress. Yeah. This, this concept that, Poor people don't Pretty deserve nice things really, really yeah. ticks me off because it, yeah, it, it implies that you only deserve something high, high quality if you've got money. And mm-hmm. yeah, I don't like that. He does not come across well here. No, um, no, he doesn't come across all. well anywhere. What are you and, talking about? <laughs> well, and that's the thing. Bullets comes across initially as the more sympathetic character, but I do think that there is something to be sympathized about Julian that as we learn going forward it this first moment here is where I I sort of my theory of him and Francois because Francois grabs his arm and he says don't upset yourself and I I genuinely think that that's more of an intimate gesture than it is necessarily something that a business partner would do and I, I part of me kind of wonders I mean Julian being a gay fashion designer that's an obvious stereotype um mm-hmm. And I think how they managed to skirt the moral gray area because standards and practices would not would not love an openly gay couple that are openly gay in a in a show in a lot of shows, especially at this time period. That maybe it's because they're the vi- that he's the villain that they kind of skirt that moral gray area. Um, you can have a wacky gay sidekick that's your assistant, or you can you can have them. But there there's a concept in in uh, queer theory and queer um, cinema and film that is you bury your gays. They're either bad guys or they die. Those are the two the two things that get to happen. Um, and obviously that's not the case anymore. But it would have been the case back then. So well, as Doris said, on a, a couple is one of each sex at least yeah, on screen. At least on screen. So. I definitely get the opinion. This just feels very intimate when he yeah. he sort of says, don't okay. upset yourself. Um, and then he kind of steps in and defends him. And, and I don't doubt what you said either, that he's he's Francois is a narcissist and probably a psychopath. And he's manipulating, manipulating Julian emotionally. But I think also probably physically, like it's easier to control someone if that person is not only indebted to you in a business sense but also emotionally yeah emotionally dependent upon you yeah 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 so yeah 
So anyway, after calm, trying to calm down Julian, uh, as you pointed out, Francois explains that in the world of fashion, world travels fast. Word of success, word of failure. And of course, he would just hate Ugh. to think what other potential clients in the mart would say if the Remington Steel Agency failed to retrieve that film. And as Steele shoves a pile of photos into an otherwise empty desk drawer, no Francois pencils. Was, Still yes. no pencils. <laughs> no, nothing. Nothing. Francois, never anything in that drawer. <laughs> Francois, with mock sympathy, tells Steele that gossip can be so destructive. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> what a jerk. He's wow. just a what jerk. What a sleazeball. Yeah, a sleazeball. He, is, he is. He's sleazier than bullets. In in a oh, sense that like yeah. bullets, <laughs> that's not bullets even a question. Is, well, I mean, bullets is kind of like quote unquote sleazy in in the way that he he grabs a a hot dog from a vendor and he he manipulates their their books a little bit to kind of get out of paying his debts and and all of these things. But he's charming as he does it. Whereas Francois is just gross. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So next we jump to bullets outlet fashion or fashion outlet. And Steele, accompanied by Laura, is spitting bullets, demanding yeah. that bullets show himself. Good good stuff. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> but bullets is not completely in a position to show himself. He's pulling himself up from the floor. Yep. When Steele and Laura confront him, he says that someone hit him on the head from behind. Laura seems somewhat sympathetic, but Steele, no, he's not having he's any mad. of it. He's convinced that <laughs> he's... it's... He's mad. He's just, he doesn't like yeah. being played and he, he thinks he's, he's being played again. Yeah. 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 And so he demands to have the film and announces that they aren't leaving until they have every last roll. And Bullets points to the plaid garment bag hanging nearby, admitting that, yeah, Mitzi sewed it into the lining of the blazer for safekeeping. But the bag is empty. And Bullets, <laughs> I love this, he indignantly <laughs> begins shouting, Thieves! Gunnifs! <laughs> they stole my season! Yeah. <laughs> Never mind um, that you stole it first. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and by the way, Gunnif is the Yiddish term for a thief or dishonest person or scoundrel, huh. often used as a general term of abuse. We need a glossary for this episode. We need like a... <laughs> A Yiddish glossary for this episode because <laughs> uh, it is. I mean, throughout the entire episode, there it just yeah. it, it's great. I love it's it. It's great. No, no, no. It's fantastic. Bullets is yes. such a wonderfully colorful natural character, natural, sympathetic. They they seem to always know, almost without fail, with few exceptions, how to pick their guest stars perfectly. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those and, examples. Yeah, and and none of this comes off as contrived. I mean, no. and a lot of that has to do with the actor. It yeah. all comes off wonderfully natural, as if, well, I'm hearing this dialogue and I'm just writing it down. Yeah, I could, I could, yeah, I, I that's perfect. I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> so anyway, next we see that Steel, Laura. And bullets are getting out of the limousine in front of the home of Mark Prine. Same home we saw earlier. And Laura warns bullets that, hey, if this is another one of your tap dances. And bullets is offended and asks, Miss Holt, you've known me for almost an hour. You still don't trust me? <laughs> I, I would have thought she would have said, 
I've known you for almost an hour, which is why I don't trust you. Yeah, <laughs> it's cute though that that's his. You know, you've known me for an almost an hour. You know, like. <laughs> so, uh. Steele comments that the house hardly looks the part of a home for a man who traffics in high fashion espionage, and with no answer coming in response to their knock on the door, the trio enters the home uninvited and begins looking around. Laura goes into the bedroom to check, Bullets heads into the kitchen, and steal into a separate dining area. In the bedroom, Laura finds a photo of Lila. Lila. With the inscription. Lila, <laughs> yes. With the inscription, to Mark, all my love, Lila. Steele finds his work ID, which indicates that Mark Prine works for a company called Overdyne. And Laura, who's joined Steele back into the dining room, hands him the photo and supplies that Overdyne is a tech company, one of many that helped NASA get men to that old devil moon, which is a lyric and a title from a song hmm. made famous by Frank Sinatra from his 1956 album, Songs for Swingin' Lovers. Interesting. Which leads Steele to wonder what bites and roms have to do with the latest hemlines. <laughs> Good point. Laura shows Steele the photo. He comments that the line to the hemlines is growing clearer. Laura adds that there's no one better than a model to infiltrate a showroom, and she speaks from bitter experience. Yeah. How long have they been on this case? I was going to say, I can't like, imagine. this one is, <laughs> this is a bit of a, um, kind of a funny line coming from her, because, I, I mean, even if they'd been on the case for a week or two, that's not enough mm -hmm. for her to be that. Bitter. Yeah, wizened and, and <laughs> just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, <laughs> I, I'm sure being a fashion model isn't easy, but compared to some of the other stuff that she does on a regular basis. No kidding. Yeah. It's got to be easy in comparison. Dodging bullets you know? and yeah. yeah. <laughs> Literally and figuratively. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. In the kitchen, Bullets is helping himself to some groceries from the counter, <laughs> yeah. stuffing, <laughs> stuffing them in his pockets. And Poor as guy. he's looking for... As he's looking for more foodstuffs to abscond with, he opens the refrigerator door, but he finds the body of the late Mark Prine stuffed inside. At least this one got some lines before they stuffed him into a box. Yeah, yeah, he was more than a body. <laughs> <laughs> From the dining room, Laura calls out the bullets, asking if he's finding everything he needs. And the way she says it, it's like Very she knows he's in there. yeah. <laughs> it's like she knows he's in there rummaging through the cupboards grabbing food or something i she knows she knows he's up to whatever he's up to it's not not good <laughs> yes so lauren Steele head into the kitchen and as they enter bullets is closing the refrigerator door with a shocked look on his face he leans with his back to the refrigerator points over his shoulder and with a sick tone in his voice says 40 regular in there not very pretty poor guy he seems really stunned like just yeah. I mean, and anybody would be if you've never seen a dead body or, well, I can't say I've ever seen a murder victim shoved into a fridge. So I, yeah. <laughs> I can't. You know. I saw one last week. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> it happens. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. It's just, you, you just go on. Anyway, Bullets excuses himself and he looks like he's about to bring up his last meal. Yeah. Laura <laughs> opens the door and then with a very shocked and disturbed look on her face quickly slams it shut and takes a moment to kind of calm herself down and opens the door again and checks the body for personal id 
And she's upset to learn that it's Mark Prime. Their best lead so far is dead. As Steele examines the remains, he comments that it was a skull fracture that did him in. Bullets is leaning through the opening over the pass-through counter between the kitchen and the dining room, and he's puzzled. Who's the other guy, he wonders? Some starker comes to me with the Prime Kids claim check. Mitzi had just shown the film in the lining, so naturally I couldn't give him the right coat. But he returns, pops me up. Naturally, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, Steele's comment. So he, but he returns, bops me on the noggin, and runs off with the blazer. How did he know the film was in the lining? Starker, I, thought, I was just gonna a strong, ask, did stout you fellow, a big shot, an arrogant fellow. <laughs> yep, I did. Yep, anyway, as he's talking more to himself than anyone else, Steele finds a slip of paper in Mark's jacket pocket. And it's a page from Julian Barron's memo pad. Then it reads, Bullets Blaustein, 12 Santee Street, 42 Long. Laura suggests that perhaps they're dealing with more than Julian Barron's latest creations. And Bullets says, well, it couldn't have been the blazer. The material was lousy. And they conclude that whoever stole the blazer also stuffed Mark Prine into the icebox. And since whoever it was that did it isn't expecting anyone to find him, they'll just... Close the door. <laughs> and as Steele trails off, Laura completes the thought. And with some some false enthusiasm, I would say, oh, they will return to the world of sequins yeah. and feathers. Yeah, just a oh. bit of yeah. reservation. Just, just, just the odd reservation. Snarky. Yeah. It's not Back happy. Back to theater. A crowd of models are sitting on the stage and steps leading up to it, getting kind of a pep talk from Julian. After he concludes, he leaves, and most of the models follow him, which leaves Laura and Lila sitting on the steps of the stage. And Laura begins making conversations, saying that, oh, she thought the streets of L.A. would be paved with rich men, but it seems to be time for a repaving. They laugh, and then Laura (laughs) continues, saying that, of course, there's that English buyer, St. Claude. I know she picked that name I like on purpose. That she, yes, she did that intentionally. <laughs> Absolutely. And Lila says, no, it was Sam. Sam from Birmingham. <laughs> and that there's a lot of bucks to be pressed out of that suit. And then asks how Laura did. I'm not sure what she's asking here, and I'm almost afraid to ask. I think she's asking whether Laura she, managed to sleep with the with St. Cloud. That's kind of what I was thinking, too. but. Yeah, I didn't yeah. want to go there. Anyway, so Laura says, no, it was so-so. I'm not sure what yes, that means it's in Spanish. context. But, well, yeah, I know that. But, I mean, I'm assuming in context just, of the question. I'm assuming she's just trying to be vague about it. So implying okay. that maybe something happened, but she didn't. I don't know. I, I'm assuming it's yeah. it's it's like... I will neither confirm nor deny that this is the thing that happened. (laughs) (laughs) Which pretty much confirms that it happened. Yeah. So anyway, Laura asks Lila if she's got someone special. And Lila says that she's what they call a player. And that long relations cramp her style. And she clarifies, there's one guy. He treats her pretty good, but it's not going anywhere. He's a 28,000 year man with an outside shot at 30. So And Laura since Is she talking about Mark here? Yes. Is that, okay. I, I have to I, make sure because she's some, so. uh, we never really understand where she gets to know Carl from. So I wasn't sure if it was Mark or Carl, but I'm I'm assuming it's it's Mark. That was my my reader, okay. but yeah. 
And yeah. Laura seems to sincerely say that twenty eight to thirty thousand a year guy doesn't sound so bad. It's not, uh, especially I did since the math. in nineteen. 19- in 1983, <laughs> a median income yeah. was 20000 with the average being 24000 a year. So, and, yeah. And adjusted for inflation, $20,000, $28,000 would be like close to $80,000 now. Yeah. So, I, mean, that's, I don't know about you, but here, that's good money. I wouldn't turn that's my not nose terrible. It's not terrible. <laughs> yeah. So, Lila responds that at Laura's age, nothing sounds bad. She's got time. So, if she gets hurt, she's got time to recover and move on. But at yeah. Lila's age, you run out of time. So, when luck smiles... And the brass ring comes up for a second time. You got to grab it and hold on to it with everything you've got. So I've this got is a couple kinda, of things. Yeah, maybe it's the same. You no, you go ahead first because I'm wondering if we had the same notes as usual. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I was I looked up the actress Laura Parker. She was yep. born in October 1938, which made her about 45 at the time of this episode. Yes, yes. And how to put this? Okay. She is in the age range of me women who are referred to by a, a somewhat well-known, although somewhat indelicate term that indicates a sort of appreciation for women of that age and their desirability as potential partners for horizontal relaxation. Are we talking about cougars? Are we talking about cougars here? That wasn't the term I had in mind. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But kind of Oh, we're talking about, oh, we're talking about, it starts with an M, ends with an F? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. I could be on board with that. (laughs) So, I mean, (laughs) she's not I, granted, she's not 20. Okay, well, her, her character is supposed not, to be 30, according to the script, which is yeah, confusing but, because if you if here's the thing, if she's 30 saying, oh, honey, at your age, nothing sounds that bad. Laura's only 26. So what? Yeah. the grand old four years between them is somehow this giant chasm. It makes more sense if she's hurt, like if she's 45, if her character's 45, yeah. that makes more sense. Well, but keep in mind still. also that the <laughs> script that we have or the script that I have is yeah. dated almost two months before the show okay, actually fair. aired. So, they, so they, yeah. They so they cast were, older, but. Yes. And she's not exactly like, I, I remember somebody had posted about it in the Facebook group and mm-hmm. was, we someone else looked it up. This is how I know that she's 45 because they were surprised that she was 45 and that she didn't seem older or at least that was some of the comments in the group i definitely think she looks older i don't think it was a bad thing i I think she looks her age but she looks very good for her age yeah but you know 45 is not you're not you're not ready to keel over and die no i hope not because i'm only four years off (laughs) (laughs) now 46 you're ready no uh shoot but (laughs) no but i mean I, you know, I would think that she has time. I think the bigger issue here is the next thing that I, I wanted to go go to is, which is, I think we've got a really good understanding of why she's in a relationship that's not going anywhere yeah. and why she doesn't think that she has much chance left is because she is seeing guys as sugar daddies. 
not somebody to have relationships with. Yeah. She's looking for. It's about the money for her. It's about somebody paying her way. I mean, I don't think it's entirely like I don't think she's so cold as to not care about them. But I do think she's definitely looking for because she has she she describes Mark as a nice guy that treats her well, but doesn't make enough money for her. So there's yeah. definitely a paycheck. But see, attached that's the to overriding. The she dates. That's yeah. the veto. That's yeah. the veto. You're not oh, making enough sure. money. I, you're a great guy. I like you. You're you're sweet. You take care of me. But sorry, override. Override. She she has a specific lifestyle that she wants to lead, and and Mark Prine doesn't really. And somebody fit better pay for it. Not that her. lifestyle. <laughs> you know? yeah. I don't think she's opposed to paying her way, but I think she wants somebody that makes. My, I'm getting the impression, given her age, models have a shelf life, at least in terms of how long True. you work. It's kind of like an athlete, right? You can only work so so mm-hmm. long, and then you're you're out, right? And and usually mm-hmm. when with professional sports and things like that, anything beyond your 40s and you're retired. So I get the impression that maybe she's scared that her her number's up. Like she's not going to be able to work as a model too much longer in an industry entirely focused on looks. So, and she seems desperate. That's why she says to Laura, like, at your age, you've got time. I think it's not so much that she's this old wizened hag that's about to shrivel up into nothing but she's seeing her own means of a paycheck evaporating in front of her. She's got nothing to show for it. She doesn't have kids. She's not married. And I don't know that she's necessarily only looking for a paycheck, but that's definitely on her mind because her own means of, of making money is starting to, to go. And, and, and I'll, I'll agree that it was probably more of an issue then than it is now. But even then, I think unlike athletes who, can't continue simply because they physically are unable to. Even I think back then there was a place for older models, male and female, because, you know, you you go back, I know this is going back into the old (laughs) days when I was young, uh, the Sears catalog, (laughs) you know, you'd see sections of, of clothing being modeled by older men and older women. Yeah, but catalog so was models don't still... make the same kind of money as high fashion runway models. Well, yeah, okay, fine, I, I'll buy that. But you know, it's still you're still working, you're still making money. You're you're not completely true. And... But if she's got, say, for example, a nice apartment that is has a high amount of like rent that she has to pay, like I know people that have done catalog work when they were kids and stuff like that, and it's it's mm-hmm. sort of a paltry paycheck. Like you need another day job. Um, catalog work is not really going to get you, it's not going to pay the bills. So she's, she's definitely looking at a reduction in her income. And I think maybe she's just scared, which isn't to say that, that she's not looking for a sugar daddy. I think you're right about that too, but she doesn't want to downsize. I don't, like, like I don't most think of us would a, have to do in our paycheck. <laughs> yeah. I don't think up. she's yeah. just as heartless as, as only wanting to get someone for their money. I think she's, she's just frightened that her, her means of earning a living is being challenged by time. And that's why she sees Laura as this young, fresh person. And, and she's not, I don't know. Okay. It might be a bit more into Lila, but I think we get like a human side of her as the episode goes on, because she definitely wasn't expecting murder to factor into this. Oh no, no. no. <laughs> anyway, as the uh, conversation winds down, the phone rings and Lila 
apparently knows it's for her because she hollers out to somebody, that's for me. I'll get yeah. it. And before she runs off, Laura says, well, I'll see you around. And Lila says, well, maybe, maybe not. But, you know, if I don't, just remember what I said. Yeah. Then we see Lila rush out of a building and Laura comes out behind her. Lila hails a cab. Laura steps over to the agency limo where Bullets is sitting, stuffing his face. Yeah. <laughs> and it seems that Steele has gone to look for Julian. So he's not there. They can't wait. So Laura hops into the limo and directs the driver, who isn't Fred. No. To follow that cab. That. Yeah. And Julian, or Bullets loves that kind of talk. Yeah. Follow that cab. <laughs> he enjoys it. <laughs> yes. Well, it seems that Steele has found Julian. And he's shown him the note that he found on Mark's body. And we hear Julian dismissively state, Me? Julian Barron, a murderer, you must be out of your mind, Mr. Steele. And yes, it's my memo paper. Well, when Steele states, but you don't recall the handwriting, uh, I, that just, ah, oh. he makes the same mistake he's made before. He yep. assumes the answer and then supplies the false answer to the person he's interrogating, giving them a chance to, well, he's to not a agree to the false <laughs> Why does he keep doing this? Why? Why? <laughs> anyway, Julian takes advantage of the opportunity by truthfully, although misleadingly, saying, my door is open to every Tom, Dick, and Murray who traipses into the mark. Any one of them could have scribbled that note. Shades of Maury Singer's comment. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> fooling around with every Tom, Dick, and Murphy that comes your way. <laughs> I thought of that, too. I, I uh, Yeah, it did sound like. Like Maury Singer. <laughs> yep. Steele points out that, you know, a man was murdered. And if his client was involved, he has a right to know. And Julian immediately accuses Bullets of being behind the accusation. When Steele questions, why would Bullets do such a thing? I mean, after all, the fact that they're brothers and they had a falling out just because one of them was a trifle ungrateful. And Julian fairly explodes, Ooh, demanding yeah, to know, does not is, like that, that. <laughs> is that what he told you? I'm sure he told you about how he put me through school, too. Well, I paid him back five times over for that. Churned out my designs gratis, only to watch him sabotage my reputation by using the cheapest fabrics available. Shortcut after shortcut. Seamstresses who couldn't sew straight. I gave him custody of a world-class talent, and he tried to ruin me. <laughs> oh and while he's These ranting two Steel... are extreme drama queens like both of oh, them yeah. in different ways but yes yeah. absolutely yeah. <laughs> but while the uh, while julian's ranting steel is looking through the jackets hanging on a rack nearby and it just so happens that one of them is a 42 long yeah steel comments now that bullets Schnorrers on Santa Street <laughs> while his younger brother creates two blocks away. Julian responds that what happens between him and his brother is no concern to Mr. Steele. His job is to find the film. Steele steps closer to Julian and in a low, intense, and almost menacingly voice. Yeah, it did says, sound menacing. My job is to find the murderer. And I really like this because we see now, like, Steele went from being furious at bullets. Mm -hmm. To feeling bad for him, especially the more he the more he sees from Baron, the more mm -hmm. he again identifies again with this underdog, this 
this idea of this poor, like he, he definitely has this sympathy that he has more in common with, it's interesting, stylistically and socially, he has more in common with Baron than he does with Bullets. They right, both because are in the same he's world. Developed that, yeah. That sophistication, that style, that that position. Mm-hmm. But Bullets, he seems to have this deep sense of responsibility towards. And it's an interesting concept. It's an interesting idea that they've gone with with Steel identifying with Bullets, who is this run down, down on his luck. Always scrounging for food. <laughs> well, character. in a way, it kind of parallels Steele's <laughs> life, though, because that's the kind of life he came up through. Yeah. And he evolved into this Julian Barron style character, which is all a facade. Yes. As yes. it kind of is with Julian. That's true. As you yeah. pointed out a few minutes ago. He's putting on an accent. He's putting on a, a uh, the whole, fa- yeah, facade is the best word <laughs> for it. He's putting on for... Yeah. For his high high powered clients, his seven thousand yeah. dollar originals, his Beverly Hills women that he sells to, it's all an an act. Mm-hmm. Uh, Julian yeah. Barron is a brand, right? So he yeah. has to be that brand. And so, kind of so in a way, the steel. brothers actually represent <laughs> the two two parts of steel. Yeah, which is really interesting. <laughs> it's fascinating. So anyway, we jump to Laura, who has followed Lila to a health food market. And inside, Lila is with the bearded man who hands her a grocery sack. Inside is Mark Prine's jacket. She begins pawing at the jacket, fretting that this had better be the right jacket or Mark's going to catch up with her. The bearded man nervously suggests that, well, you don't need to worry about Mark. (laughs) And then asks what she's looking for. Well, Lila doesn't know, but she'll know it when she sees it. The bearded man gently presses for more details like, didn't the client tell you what you're looking for? But Lila reprimands him, saying that's not his concern. She finds the film canister, removes it from the jacket, concluding that Mark was taking photos at Overdyne. The bearded man concludes that Mark was a spy. But Lila cuts off any further speculation by saying the less they know, and maybe the less they think they know, the better it will be for both of them. Probably true. True. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Outside, Laura and Bullets are in the limo, observing as Lila now leaves the store and gets into a cab. Laura catches Bullets as he starts to get out of the limo, asking him what he thinks he's doing and where he thinks he's going. Oh, Bullets he's so tells sweet her, here. <laughs> I know, so but cute. he's so, so much in yeah, trouble. Um, I know. <laughs> he says, just think of me as your muscle, Miss Holt. Following people <laughs> in the limousine, you do very well. But at 110 pounds, Sam Spade, you're not. No. <laughs> Actually, Never. she doesn't get mad at him for this. She kisses him, and she says, "That's yeah, sweet, I but know. stay." I, I know, but like, she, I think, he, he could have been in so much trouble. You never tell a small dog that they're a small dog. Yeah, I think she recognizes though that Bullets is not trying to be condescending or rude to her. He just generally, genuinely wants to keep her safe, and it's. I think she recognizes it as a sweet gesture but... rather than a rude one. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's very cute. Anyway, as you said, she <laughs> assures him that she can handle it and heads inside the store. And then inside, there's no one in sight. So she begins rummaging around. But after a moment, the bearded man comes out from the back room and immediately turns on the smarmy charm. Oh, yeah. Oh. Pretty lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
No. Laura says that a friend of hers, um, Lila from the Mart, sent her over and said to ask for um, um, Carl. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, Laura knows how to use that trick to her advantage. She does anyway, well with so, this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's Carl. We finally have a name for the the beard, and Laura comments that <laughs> he is his best own advertisement. And when Carl asks her name, she gives it. And again, we've had this kind of, why isn't she using an alias? Well, I guess in this case, if she's saying that she knows Lila from the Mart, she doesn't really have a choice if she hasn't used an alias to walk in the fashion show. So she probably should why have used an alias. Used I, yeah, exactly. I, was get, I was getting there. <laughs> she probably should have used an alias as a model, but she didn't. So she kind of has to stick with the original. Yeah. She, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, should have been using an alias for the whole thing. I mean, after all, Sam from Birmingham was Leela. <laughs> yeah, Leela. So she knows she... Leela from the Mart. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so she's picked up a brochure earlier, and so she kind of looks down at it, and then she asks, "Selenium yeast?" Makes a bad joke about how she's always seemed to Got get a rise, rise out, of out, that. out of it. Did you look up uh, what this is? Yes. It's a feed additive for yeah. livestock, although it's approved for human too. consumption in the EU, EU and Britain, which I guess means that those governments view their citizens as livestock. Okay, so here's here's a weird thing about the EU and Britain too, though, because like one of one of the main sort of Canadian dishes is poutine or poutine, as it's actually supposed to be pronounced, which is fries with cheese uh -huh. curds and gravy. Right, delicious, uh -huh. super good, yum yum. The cheese curds are not approved in the in, in Britain because the fact that they're not pasteurized or something like that. So you can't get cheese curds in Britain, but apparently you can consume selenium yeast. Or at least that's what Scott told me. I don't like it's just, it's weird. Yep. And I don't know. But I, here's what I couldn't find because I Googled what it was. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to know, like, why you would even why you would use it, why you would have it in a health food store. Like, what does it do to for your body? Because it obviously does something if it's being sold in this health food store. And he even seems confused by it, saying well, it's your body, baby. Like, <laughs> I don't... You know, you assume that it does something useful in your body. <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot of stuff that people sell as... True. Health food items that do absolutely nothing for well, you. Well, this is the this is the thing. Like, and it's interesting because this points out something that I don't think people realize. Like, I've and without getting political, like people rant and rave about the evils of big pharma, and and I'm not saying that there isn't evils in in medic medication and that whole industry, but they seem to think that somehow the natural health industry is is in some way more morally righteous, and it's funny because nothing at least in canada all of the sort of stuff that you buy in a health store it's not regulated mm -hmm. it's not like yeah. with with the fda Same. or something like that where it's it's not regulated so you could buy something and and you just have to trust that what you're tell what they're telling you is in there is in there it's an industry like anything else so it it it, it's funny that they're not held to any sort of standard. Like, obviously, what they sell you can't kill you. That's pretty much the line, though. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's kind of the same in the U.S. because a lot of the products you'll find in a health food store or nutrition center at your local yeah, uh, yeah. supermarket uh, will say, these statements have not been evaluated by the FDA for Yeah, you know, so... <laughs> so 
it's the same thing as what you're talking about. It's we're selling you this thing. We're telling you that it's good for this. And there may or may not be some evidence to support our claims, but don't look too closely. Yeah. Yeah. So, Um, but I'm curious because at least they're usually, if you sell something in a health store, you're at least claiming it does something, whether it does or uh it doesn't is another thing. But like, I couldn't find out what anybody would buy selenium yeast for in a health store. The the only thing I've, the only thing I found that even suggests any benefit is that Selenium yeast provides immune support okay. for horses. <laughs> so if you're a horse, <laughs> I could eat a horse sometimes. Like I get really hungry, but I, I I'm not a horse. Like I'm not. <laughs> Well, uh, I guess if the horse has that good <laughs> immune system and you eat the horse, it could help. There you, you go. I, I, even, <laughs> the funny thing, though, is that even Carl seems confused by her wanting. I, and I know he's confused by the fact that she asked for a case instead of like a can or whatever. But like he, even he's like, it's your body, baby. And like, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Sure, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And I have that here. It gives her a look like she's a bit nuts. Yeah. yeah. It's a funny scene because at this point he's, I mean, he's dumb muscle right so he's he's our yeah. himbo of the episode he's he's not he's and even not he's have, confounded he's, he's like all right sure whatever lady weirdo yeah i mean he's at least smart enough to be confused yeah yeah exactly so, so anyway he steps back into the back room back room to get her case of selenium <laughs> yeast laura quickly runs behind the counter in search of oh look there's a barrel with a jacket stuffed into it she grabs it, looks at the label, which reads BB, 42 long. Yep. She starts to head to the door, but here's Carl coming back with the yeast and tosses oh, the jacket case. out of sight behind the counter near the front door. <laughs> Laura tells Carl, I think soy protein isolate would be just the ticket for me. A I'll take a case. for what? <laughs> yeah. Did you look well, this one up too? <laughs> no, I did not. Okay, so I, I did. Um, you can okay. so so at least with soy protein isolate, I can see why you would have it in a health store. According to what I found, you can use soy protein to help lose weight, boost energy, or build muscle. Soy protein isolate may also help manage your hormone balance, lower your risk of breast cancer, heart disease, and osteoporosis. Protein is important for your overall health and, and boost develop, uh, development. Soy protein is ninety percent protein, so. That one I can see, at least. I think it's the combo of soy protein isolate along with the selenium yeast that has him <laughs> extra confused. But at least that one I can I can understand the, the benefit behind it. <laughs> well, Carl, again, as you say, he's confused, but he, okay, fine. He goes back, grabs another case out he of the back room. He doesn't put the first one down, though. This is what kills me is he, he know, doesn't set it down he just goes back with the same case in his hand like why not put it yep sorry <laughs> so then he comes he goes back with carl out of sight she runs back behind the counter grabs the coat begins to head out the door but here's carl coming back again with her selenium yep. yeast and soy protein isolate and so she tosses the jacket down again and laura tells <laughs> yeah. carl you know you can't make the wheat germ smoothies without the wheat germ and carl anticipating <laughs> laura says you'll take a case right <laughs> Oh, let's make it two cases. And again, Carl walks back, carrying both cases already. Doesn't put them down. <laughs> back into the back room. 
Laura grabs the jacket, runs out the front door, and back toward the limo. And I looked Carl, up, I looked up wheat germ too. Okay. Because <laughs> I needed to know. I was at this point. I'm like, fine, okay. whatever. I'm looking this up. Uh, we, <laughs> I'm on a roll. I can't stop. <laughs> I need to know. Wheat germ brings with it a wide range of potential health benefits for those who choose to eat it. At just 45 calories and one gram of unsaturated fat, two tablespoons serving of wheat germ offers two grams of dietary fiber, 10% of the recommended daily value of folate. 8% of your recommended daily value of phosphorus, magnesium, and zinc, 15% of your vitamin E, 10% of your thiamine re requirements, whatever that is. <laughs> so basically like a bunch of stuff for immune function. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know, but I, I don't know about you as, as beneficial as that sounds, anything with the word germ in it, I don't want, I don't want. <laughs> well, of course, as Laura is outside, Carl comes back carrying four cases, only to find Laura gone. He <laughs> steps to the front door, steps out, and sees Laura hop into the limo, sees the limo drive off, and he reads the license plate. My question is, if Laura had to pull the door open to get out, With how did Carl manage to do it that quickly carrying four yeah. cases? Yeah, and why is he put the... pretty quick. Put the darn things down, for God's sake, man. I know you have He muscles, would have had but... to have to open the door. <laughs> yeah. So at least he finally did. He finally yeah. put him down. Maybe he's just so dumb he can't, like, do more than one thing at a time. Like, it, it's really hard for him. So <laughs> he just has to, like... <laughs> That's my theory, anyway. <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, back at Laura's loft, Bullets, jacket in hand, is protesting his innocence after a fashion. Yeah. I swear to you, Mr. Steele, the last time I saw the film of or saw that film of stolen fashion designer, I was going to produce yeah. knockoffs of <laughs> Missy was sewing it into the lining of the coat. I mean, mm, yeah. yeah. Your defense is that your your stolen film was was there. Okay, yeah, right. Well, if Bolts doesn't have it, and Laura doesn't have it, and Steele doesn't have it, and Mark doesn't have it, or what's left of Mark doesn't have it, then who has it? <laughs> And Laura and Steele both realize at the same time that they have it, whoever yeah. they is. Well, back at the health food store, Lila storms in, telling Carla, Carla, Carla? <laughs> telling Carl that the film's worth bupkis and that it's the blazer that the client wants. Carl starts to tell her, no problem, it's right over here. He goes to the barrel, only it's not there. He begins rummaging around the barrel as if, if he looks long enough, it'll magically appear. Yeah. He, well, he's not too bright. We know this. <laughs> well, Lila soon joins the not Albert Einstein club because she grabs the barrel and dumps out the container and its contents on the floor. Yeah. Doing the same thing. <laughs> and Carl remembers, you know, your friend, she was the only one who was near it. Good looking brunette. Health nut. Said she knew you from the mark. Lori. No. Laura. Holt. Well, Lila slowly realizes that she's been had. Laura yeah. has been pumping her for information. Next, we see Laura, waist up, stretched out, <laughs> appears to be lying on a bed. And we hear Steve's voice saying, deeply, Laura, from the heart. <laughs> Laura sighs and says, you're very good at this, you know. And we hear Steele respond that it comes naturally with the right person. 
this is this is funny. This is funny, right? Because and the camera course, pulls back, and we see that he's he, massaging the bottom of her feet. Yeah, uh, that's so kind of him. So sweet. I mean, so it loving. depends. It depends because I don't know if I've I've mentioned this before, but like I, my feet are so ticklish, even I can't touch them. So whenever I hear no, people talk. Not. About yeah, no, I, they are so like. Whenever I hear people say, "Oh, I I love a good foot massage," I I, I can't, I can't. Nobody can touch <laughs> my feet, right? So whenever I see this, I just like immediately. I'm like, "How? How is she allowed?" I I once had somebody try to like grab my foot. I can't remember. This was in high school. For some reason, we were just goofing mm-hmm. off, and like somebody went to grab my foot, and I kicked them. And it was a reflex. I didn't mean to. It was just like, I can't even touch my own feet, much less. So I see these scenes and I'm like, okay, I get that this must be nice for other people, but not definitely no one's getting near my feet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So anyway, as Steele continues, Laura sits up and tells him that if Lila has done something desperate, she could kind of understand it adding that that meat line at Julian's would drive any woman to distraction. And seeking clarification, Steele asks, you mean from sore feet? No, from sore hearts, sore souls. Man is seen as many things, doer, thinker. Woman, bottom line, flesh. And Laura gets up from the bed and begins to start a sort of slow pacing and continues. Nobody told you what to be when you grew up. You're a man. You smoke cigars. They used to come by the offices and drove and say, steal away with me, Laura. How's Palm Springs sound, Laura? But handle a case? Better let Mr. Steele handle that, Laura. Steele, who is still on bed, tells her, well, thankfully she didn't do that, else they would not both be there and they would both be scrounging for rent. He gets up from the bed, moves to her, wraps his arms around her shoulders. He continues by telling her that no one's ever going to treat her as just flesh. Flesh, yes, but never just flesh. This is a good scene for a number of reasons. We get this monologue from her, Mm -hmm. which allows her to empathize with Lila and allows Mm -hmm. us as the viewers, as a proxy, to empathize with Lila. Because at this point we don't have much about Lila to empathize with, with the exception of maybe that bit that she said about how she has time and the fact that she is, you know, there's not a lot there, but Laura, Mm -hmm. she sees something in Lila and she recognizes the, that her own difficulties and struggles have gone a similar, maybe not the same path, but a similar path. And while she's lost in that reverie, he expresses gratitude for what she has done. Right. This is this is the part of it that really I really enjoy because he says, thank God you didn't or we'd both be scrounging for the rent. He's acknowledging that it's her drive and her ambition that has allowed him to become more stable. Like he obviously was able to live the jet set life and pull his cons and go from place to place. He wasn't starving anymore, but Mm -hmm. I think he recognizes that she's given him stability and she's given him a purpose and he's thanking her, which is really sweet. And then, of course, adding to that, that I'm not going to see you as just flesh. Like, obviously, I'm attracted to you, which she says, flesh certainly, never just, which is honest, right? Because if he's mm-hmm. if he were to stand there and say, well, you know, you're not just, you're not flesh to me, you're, mm, 
<laughs> I don't think anybody would buy that because any relationship is built on some level of physical attraction. So he's acknowledging that that two part of it. Like, yes, you are someone I find attractive, but you that's not why I'm with you. At least not the only reason. Yeah. Well, anyway, after their speech, speeches, they kiss, but they're interrupted by bullets calling to them from the kitchen this area saying weird. the caviar was <laughs> <laughs> the, the caviar was going bad. The fact that bullets is just sort of like rounding around in, in her kitchen while she's making out with steel in her bedroom is a little odd. Like their clients <laughs> in the house. <laughs> But, you know, uh, <laughs> at a certain point, you just kind of turn it off and forget that I suppose. it's not a big deal. <laughs> you know, like walking around in public uh, in your teddy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the, he said the caviar was going bad, but obviously it wasn't going bad so much that it prevented him from chowing down on it. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just an excuse to chow oh, yeah. down he's, on he's it. He's helping himself <laughs> to her kitchen. Yes. He's eating and throughout still, this entire episode. <laughs> Steele tells him, well, you know, to the conqueror goes the spoils and bullets who now same realizes what he's interrupted. <laughs> tells Steele the same thing. Hey, hey, go for it, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Um, so bullets goes back to the kitchen, continuing to munch on his ill-gotten snack. <laughs> and with him out of earshot, Steele tells Laura that he can't seem to find the courage to tell bullets about his brother. Laura sympathizes with him, saying it's because he'd like to see them back together again, which Steele thinks makes him sound like a sentimental fool, but he says he owes bullets the truth, whatever that leads to. I think to. he is a sentimental fool, but there's nothing wrong with that. You know, well, like there's, no, there's nothing wrong with having that sentimental side to him. Laura kind of knows it's there. That's why she kind of gives yeah. him a little kiss and yeah. Well, I, I think I think he makes the same mistake a lot of people do is that they associate two th two things that are related, but not necessarily dependent upon each other. You can be sentimental without being a sentimental fool. But a lot of people, True. well, if you're sentimental, then you must be a sentimental fool. They Fair. can't, they can't separate the degree yeah. of, uh, you know, it, it's either all or nothing. They they don't see the degrees there, and I think that's what he's he's reacting to. But anyway, Steele leaves Laura. He moves down to the kitchen where Bullets is still scrounging and now he's banging the on the top of a small portable tv <laughs> yeah. yeah he's still eating though and he complains yep. that there's not enough color and still reminds him that honeymooners wasn't made in color yeah <laughs> and we find out that it happens to be the only show that he never tires of as he says americana around the kitchen table jackie gleason roaring amiable art carney bullet says his muriel she was partial to carney Something in his eyes, I think, and tells Steele that he'd been married for 31 years. And he pauses at the memory and then with some sadness asks Steele, did you ever lose anybody? Steele says, once, a long time ago. Bullets says, I thought so. Your eyes tell you more than you know. Steele points out that Bullets had it worse, having lost twice. But Bullets truthfully tells Steele to save his sympathy saying that there's once was a time when he could have connected with Julian again. In the beginning, Francoise had come to Bullets with a proposition. If he stopped calling him a slimy monster, <laughs> at least in front of Julian, he would have a job for life. Did you look that word up? Um, yes. Momser. Yeah. 
is it's associated with a B word, uh, also a contemptible person, someone thought of as impudent and deceptive. Okay. Hmm. I have to wonder, he says he was married for, what, 31 years? Mm-hmm. According, again, this could have just changed in casting, but according to the script, his character's 55. Now, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be unusual to get married at 25, but that would imply that he just lost her, which it doesn't, he doesn't play it that way. It seems like she's been gone a bit longer. So I kind of wonder if he's supposed to be older. Well, that or they were just married really young. Yeah, could be. You know, as soon as, as soon as she turned 18, bam, they were down the yeah, aisle, you know. That could be it. Which is, there's some sadness here when he says too, when he, and I think they're setting up, we're not there yet, but women of steel, when we get the return of Cassandra Harris, mm-hmm. I think they're, they're setting this up. I don't know if that script was written yet, but he, when he asks Steele, have you ever lost somebody? And he says once they're, they're leaving that door open for something at least because that's not sure that I, they had a plan at this point. No. Yeah. I'm not, because I don't as know if they did either, before, but yeah. But yeah, you're right. I mean, that is definitely a tie in to, to that. So, so anyway, uh, Bullets continues saying that, no, he refused Francois's offer. After all, the Prince of Fleets pressing fabric for that bum, Bullets told him off big time. And was it joyous? He yeah, he definitely, he definitely sounds like, oh, boy, did I tell him. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is a good but, memory. <laughs> yeah, but it was a pirate victory because Francois retaliated and broke him. He destroyed 90% of his Jersey business. The New York reps wouldn't even speak to him. Miami dried up. Chicago. When Steele asks if he talked to his brother about it, bullets. A broken man a moment earlier is filled with indignation. Why should he try to make the first move? After all, wasn't he entitled to the first call? And yeah, Steele tries to calm him and reason with him, saying that whatever's wrong between the two of them, Julian Blaustein is still his brother, and surely there must be some common ground. Bullets declares that even if there was, not even Stanley and Livingston could find it. (laughs) Then he storms off. He's got some good lines. Yeah, he really does. (laughs) And next we see it's dark in the marked stage area. Julian is angrily yelling at Francois. Contrary to Steele's earlier assumption, Julian did recognize the handwriting on the memo page. And yes, it was Francois's handwriting. Angry and shocked, Julian starts to walk away from Francois, but Francois calls after him saying, hey, what's the big deal? He tried to send bullets a little business. And Julian explodes yelling that it wasn't just a little business. A man was killed over that business. And didn't Francois know that? Francois dismisses the detail as unimportant, irrelevant, snobbishly asking Julian, do I kill? And Julian, starting to realize that he doesn't know the answer to that, admits. Yeah that he really doesn't know everything about Francois. And this is, I don't know if it's the performance. It could be that, but this is, again, to me, reinforced that concept of them being emotionally involved because the way that the actor plays it, 
mm-hmm. he says, I don't know everything about you. It almost feels like a betrayed lover realizing that they don't know the person that they've been sharing their time with and their, mm-hmm. their life with and their home with or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Like he genuinely seems kind of scared and a little horrified. And there's an emotional betrayal here that to me seems more than just business based. And it's really done. Like we talked about bullets, the actor playing bullets being a really good actor. The actor who plays Julian does an incredible job too. He brings a yeah. lot of nuance to this performance. Yeah. And there's something else I want to bring up about it here in just a little bit too. Um, but let's go ahead and, and go through the scene because Francois asks if he wants to know everything. Well, Julian's standing with his back to Francois and doesn't seem to know how to answer the question. Seems afraid to admit that he both does and doesn't want to know yeah. everything. Yeah. I mean, after all, if he doesn't know everything, he doesn't know how deep a hole he's in. That's no. kind of emotionally comforting, I guess, in a way. But if he does know everything, he will know at least how deep of a hole he's in. So he knows what his situation is, but that might be worse than not knowing. So, yeah, it means yeah, he's, he's been lied to. He's been manipulated. And it's frightening, I think, to recognize that you have to make that choice. Do I want to know everything or do yeah. I want to stay in the dark? Yeah. Well, not getting a response from Julian, Francois begins pulling back the proverbial curtain, revealing to Julian just how deeply he is in Francois's grip. Yeah. In 1974, the unfortunate line of miniskirts. <laughs> Who raised the money for the next season? 77, the tailored look nobody wanted. Again, we recovered. Did you ever ask how? Did you ever give it a thought? And the houses, a fortune in houses, the village in Marrakesh. And as he's speaking, Francois is creeping closer to Julian like a lion, quietly stalking and preparing to take down his prey. Then he pounces. He grabs Julian by the arm, spins him around, forcing him to confront Francois face to face. And then fairly shouting finishes with the chalet in San Moritz that you just had to have. Oh, Francois, take care of the details. Don't bother me with your problems. And Julian, half angry, half frightened, yells, I trusted you. And in this the sounds final like a lover's, away, this, this, is, this is a lover's argument. Yeah, I can buy that. You know, the way he shakes him, the way he says, and mm-hmm. the houses, the things you just had to have, that sounds like, uh, if, if, if we're going to put gender roles to this, Francois would be the, the male character and, and, and Julian would be the female character. You know, the, the mm-hmm. nice things, the pretty things that you just wanted to be bought. You didn't want to know where they came from, right? And then I trusted you. Like, there's... I, I like it as a as a queer subtext personally because it gives Julian a real depth and it it means that it's not just money he was after like he genuinely thought this person was somebody he could share his life with and it kind of makes more sense that he would cut his brother out because he believed so deeply that the person he was with was someone who cared about him. Mm-hmm. And probably somebody who told him that his brother was bad for him. Yes, exactly. Like this, which is, again is the Machiavellian thing. Yeah. Which. I mean, the next the next line just pulls that mask completely off when yeah. he says, you still want the problems to go away, don't you? Yeah. And one thing about this, this scene is the lighting. The oh, lighting it's is it's great. So good. I mean, Julian is starkly lit. 
totally isolated against a totally black yep. background, which creates this feeling of a frightened isolation and vulnerability. And mm-hmm. Francois is starkly lit against the background with hints of cover and concealment, yeah. which give kind of a sinister sense of danger. And then combined with the actors, I mean, it, it, yeah. it vastly between frightened and isolated and sinister and dangerous. I mean, it's it's. And he, he touches him gently when he says, do you still want the problems to go away? Like he's, he's, you're right. He's got this manipulation, this hold over him. And he's basically saying, I will take care of you. I'm here for you. Just, just don't ask too many questions and I'll make it go away. And yeah. <laughs> but there's one final thing that has to be asked about this. How could a line of miniskirts fail? Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering that too. In 1974. I mean, <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, what guy doesn't like looking at a woman's legs? Well, especially in the 70s when when this was late 60s, early 70s, the height of free love. This That was the style. I don't... Yeah. <laughs> It's a good point. I mean, that's that's point. the critical question of this entire episode. How did a line no. of miniskirts fail? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree completely. <laughs> well, next we are in what is probably a deli in the mart because we see Laura sitting behind a menu for a deli. Yeah. And Lila walks past Laura and... Laura is doing a terrible job of being inconspicuous behind that menu. Well, she's got the fedora on, so (laughs) it shows that she's sleuthing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, Lila knows it's her because she pauses and turns and gives her a look. Then she continues on her way. Laura gets up and does a less than stellar job of being inconspicuous while following her. As Laura walks past Steele, dressed in his Sam from Birmingham outfit and bullets next to him, she taps Steele on the shoulder. Steele and bullets get up and follow. Carl is also in the lobby. Lila stops next to Carl, who stands, and Lila says, that's her, Laura, in the hat, headed this direction. Steele approaches Laura and mildly says, ah, halt, what a marvelous (laughs) surprise. And then he leans into her and says, quietly, Lila just made you. Laura has news for Steele. That hunk with her? That's Carl. I like this. Steele <laughs> looks at Carl and sizes him up. Hunk? That's a Hulk. <laughs> yeah. And I, again, I got to say, I don't see it. I don't see the hunk. I. <laughs> <laughs> well, Survey says maybe he's nope. a 1980s hunk, you know. I, maybe. I, get, I don't know. I, the beard does not do a thing for me. It just... It's too beardy. Like a good beard is is not. <laughs> I don't mean. Yeah, but yours doesn't cover your whole face. It's not like all. Yeah. Of, that's not like the only thing that you can see when you look at. You know? Yeah, but like, you know, I think though in the 1980s, guys with beards were you know full beards like Carl has were kind of. Yeah, I think that's that was kind of a thing back then. I don't know. <laughs> I could never grow a beard. I I try. You know, every so often I'll. I'll try and, and let it grow out, but I've got this strain of blood in me from somewhere. I don't know where it's from <laughs> that prevents me from having any kind of a decent facial growth. My husband's, so just, my husband's won't get any longer than a certain length either. <laughs> well, doesn't. it's not that it's, it's not length. It's thin. It's, 
I mean, there's, it's like, eh. no, it's, it's bad. So you'll never, you'll never be the Hulk hunk of that Carl is. No, no, not, I won't be like Carl, no. So anyway, Carl tells Lila that the young one is trouble. Lila says, no, that guy's just a buyer. But Carl says, no, he's Remington Steele. And so they all start divvying up their targets. (laughs) Laura claims Carl. Carl claims Laura. Lila is going to go work on Steele. Steele's going to work on Lila. Next, Carl and Laura pretend that running into each other is such a surprise. Yeah. With Carl essentially asking her out on a date, although it probably won't be much fun for her. No. Lila pretends to be on the phone and acts surprised when Sam from Birmingham walks by. Yeah, her her pretending to be on the phone is really bad. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. no, tomorrow. Yeah, no, I can. De- yeah, I definitely think I can do it. Like, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Over, yeah. Overacting there. Yeah. Just a little bit. A little bit, yeah. yeah. So Laura and Steele, they do their innocent act, pretending to be surprised. And Steele is getting ready to kiss her hand when Bullets breaks in and grabs her hand and introduces himself as Bernie Fetterman from Chicago, from the Chicago Emporium. He's right in this. <laughs> he's right in this. It's great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then he invites Lila to join him for the evening. And then as Bullets and Lila walk away, Steele begins repeating, Bernie Fetterman, Bernie Fetterman. Bernie Fetterman. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I got to say, it's interesting that he didn't even protest when Laura said she'd take Carl and he could take Lila because when it came to Mr. Dominic, in the season mm-hmm. premiere, he was very concerned about her safety and, and mm-hmm. almost didn't well, want her true. to do it. Whereas in this case, someone's been killed. That's and true. we know as the viewers, it, it's Carl that did it. Now we know it was an accident, but still like Carl's dead is big, dead. Carl's a big dude. And yeah. Laura's not uh, 110 pounds. Sam Spade, she ain't right. So it's yeah, interesting right. that he doesn't even blink. He's just like, yeah, go ahead, go put yourself in a room alone with Carl. And, I'll I'll take Leela. <laughs> uh, maybe he wasn't thinking about the Laura and Hulk together as much <laughs> as he was thinking about the Steel and the Leela together. Uh, I don't think she's his type. <laughs> uh, no, no, yeah. no. But, you know, hey, any port in a storm, I guess. Uh, at a swanky <laughs> oh, restaurant, Steel. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, let's keep going. Let's keep going. (laughs) So at a swanky restaurant, Steele, despite some unwelcome help from Bullets, is trying to warm his way into Lila's good graces. And Lila is rather amateurishly playing the role of the flattered dits when the waiter comes over and asks if they would like some more wine. Bullets jumps in and calls for champagne. Rothschilds. 32 is the year he remembers. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Steele reaches across the table and grabs him by the collar and informs him that his memory just cost him 600 bucks. Which And also, seem... how old is he supposed to be? If if Rust, if the 32 is the year he remembers, he'd be very old. Very old. Well, no, it, it, he remembers it because he's had it before and it was really, really good. Okay. I got the impression <laughs> he was saying that he remembered from back in the day, you know? <laughs> No, no, I think I think he just had some somewhere and he remembered that Rothschild's 32 is really, really good or, yeah. you know, and does the fact that it costs $600 doesn't really seem to bother him too much. <laughs> it's funny watching Steele's expression, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, Steele's been spinning a yarn about 
a supposed job for Lila. And now, after the champagne has been ordered, she asks, okay, where do I sign? And Steele says, well, she already has. And coyly, she says, I don't understand. And Steele takes off the glasses, abandons the Birmingham accent. Thank God. Excuse me. (laughs) Abandons the Birmingham accent and tells her, I'm not sure who you're working for, Lila, but you may be in deeper than you think. And she looks at him, shocked. And he says, at the moment, the authorities will show some leniency. And suddenly, she's no longer lighthearted. Leniency about what? Steele says, well, why don't we start with Mark Prine's murder and then work our way back from there? And Steele is, or Lila is flabbergasted. And then she's disbelieving and angry. You're lying. You're just trying to shake me. Steele says to believe him. Then perhaps he'll be able to believe her. Meanwhile, Laura is with Carl and they are at his (laughs) shop. Does he live there too? I don't know, but it's the worst place to do Now I realize this isn't a real date, but if it was. That's a terrible date. He needs to up his game. Like that is a pathetic place to take a date. Like let's go back to my health food store and we can dance among the uh, dumbbells and selenium yeast. Yeah, and they are dancing, and Carl is getting handsy. If you, I was going to say, if you call that nervously... dancing, he's pawing her. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I guess he figures they dance if he's... different ways in different. <laughs> I guess he figures if he's gonna if he's if he's gonna try to like figure out what she wants and who she is, he might as well, you know. Yeah. Cop a feel at the same time. <laughs> well, she's obviously not enjoying herself, and she yeah. manages to get Carl out of the room by sending him off for some ice for her beer. Yeah. Family tradition, she says. Yeah. While he's gone, she looks through his jacket for the film, but he steps back through the door and spies her searching. He steps back into the other room and then makes a huge show of coming back in as if he hadn't seen what he saw. Yeah. He approaches Laura with her iced beer. He trips himself and dumps a lot of it on her and says, oh, sorry about that. Uh, You want to go dry up? There's a bathroom over there. Uh, Yeah, go ahead and go. And after she leaves to go dry off, Carl goes through her purse and pulls out her driver's license and looks at it. Over at Mark's house, Steel and Bullets are leading Lila to the refrigerator to prove to her that Mark is dead. But when she opens the refrigerator. Sorry, I thought that that was a private investigator's license that he pulled out. Was no, it her driver's it was, license? Yeah, I believe so. Oh. But he already yeah. knows her name, so that wouldn't prove anything. No, but it gives her gives him her address. Oh, okay. Yes, that's right. Okay, good point. Sorry. My brain didn't connect the two for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> so they're showing Lila the refrigerator. She opens the Lila. She opens the Lila. <laughs> she opens the refrigerator door, and all that's in there are the ordinary things you might find in a refrigerator. Too bad and Bullets didn't get a chance to rate it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really. Oh, but, you know, now that there's some pot roast in there, man, maybe I'll yeah. have <laughs> Although well, I don't know if laughing. I'd want pot roast that had been in a fridge with a dead body. <laughs> well. We don't know how well it's been hey, cleaned. As long as you cleaned it out. Yeah. Well, Lila's laughing. She thinks it's all a gag, but Bullets and Steel are confounded. And <laughs> Bullets says, I saw him too. But yeah. just in case, Steele checks the freezer. What? Yeah, well, I really 
I would really hope they don't find it in there because that would mean somebody had to get really creative with a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or a cleaver. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Back at the loft, we see Laura is getting ready for bed and she is unaware that Carl is outside spying on her through her windows. She picks up the jacket that everybody's been chasing after in order to get the film, they thought. Although now we know we know that Carl and Lila yeah. are after the jacket. She doesn't yet, but she puts the jacket on and kind of takes stock of herself in the mirror, sees how it looks. But then in the mirror, she sees the front door slide open to reveal Why didn't Carl, she lock her door? Gun in hand. I don't know. <laughs> they didn't lock it in the last one either. No, that's true. That is true. You'd think in their line of work, you'd have several locks on your door. And you'd yeah. have windows that people couldn't just drop through. <laughs> yeah, you think. But then on the other hand, maybe they've, you know, they picked so many locks, they broke it through yeah, so many fair. windows, they figure, yeah, what's the <laughs> point? Bother? Everybody else will do it too. It's kind of like you leaving know? your car unlocked because you know that if somebody is wants what's in it so badly, at least they're not going to ruin your window to get it. <laughs> yeah. 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 You've given up. Anyway, so... She sees Carl, gun in hand. He demands that she give him the jacket, which, of course, causes Laura to realize that it was never about the film, only yeah. the jacket. But Carl isn't interested in discussing the matter with her. He just wants the jacket. Now, Laura refuses, turns, and runs up the stairs toward the bedroom area. Carl is she going Pyle, for the window? Like, was she trying to, is there a window there that she could have gotten out? Because I don't know what she's thinking. Yeah. I There's nowhere to get out that I can, I can see. No, I couldn't it, see any, way, she, any. Even if there was a window there, she'd have to open it. She's going to be standing there stationary. Great I have to think it was, this was just a matter of staging because yes. she, he had to come in through the door and right. therefore she needs to be in front of him and therefore she needs to try to run at least and she needs to turn mm -hmm. her back on him. So it probably was one of those like, yeah, we know it doesn't make any sense, but this is the only way we can do it. <laughs> but we've got to make it make sense within the context of the story. So how would we do that? She just panicked and ran. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, anybody no, would. You see a gun pointing at yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, she's running. Carl's shooting. And she's hitting the back. I mean, just dead square in the back. Yeah. And she collapses on the stairs that lead up to that bedroom area. Carl runs over to her, planning to remove the jacket from her, but Steele, having heard the shots, rushes in. Carl takes several shots at him and then runs out. After Carl's departure, Steele gets up and goes toward the unmoving figure of Laura. This is, even, even before we get to this, this is intense, okay. considering the fact that guns are often used, but not to any real serious degree. Usually the person who fires... At least to them. Like, obviously, uh -huh. we see people get killed. Other people get killed. But usually the person who fires at them misses. And we never see any real consequences. But this time, she's on the ground. And she looks dead. Uh -huh. Which is yeah. intense. Which is <laughs> what motivates him into this, where he yeah. goes up next to her. He lays down next to her. He kisses her on the temple. And through his tears, begins to confess that there were so many things he wanted to tell her thinks that he should have told him. He pulls her up, cradling her shoulder and head against his body. 
At which point, Laura groggily apologizes, saying she really hates to interrupt him while she's ahead. <laughs> and steals frozen for a moment. But then he pulls her head to himself and begins frantically kissing her. Yeah. Starting to recover her senses, Laura insists that it's all beginning to make sense. Steele insists that nothing makes any sense but the fact that she's alive and well and... Laura? Why are you alive, Why are you alive and well? <laughs> can I can I say a couple of things about this scene? Sure. Go like, ahead. The, the bit where he's... the. The first part of it is so moving and so well acted and so perfect, right? Him saying so many things I should have told you, so many things I wanted to tell you, like the way he's holding mm-hmm. her. It's heartbreaking. And and Brosnan does an incredible performance. And then she starts to wake up and it's funny. Like her, I hate to interrupt while I'm ahead, is really, is really cute. And he calls her babe. Mm-hmm. And this has been the... I just that's not me, in the script that we have. No, it's that not. I word, checked. That and it, one word is not in the script. That we it have. almost torpedoes it for me. It doesn't, but like it almost does because it's so out of character for him. He's never called her babe. He never calls her babe again. Mm-hmm. It's if it were an endearment he's used in the past, I could see it, but mm-hmm. it isn't. And it, and going forward isn't. And the only time we ever hear the word used, I'm not saying there's anything wrong. Like people call each other babe all the time. Fine. But the only time we ever hear babe or baby used on this show is when it's being used by men who are like, hey, babe. Like when Carl says to her, it's your body, baby. Like it's always in a condescending, condescending. degrading way. And it's never being like, and Steele has never used it. I can't see him ever using it. Like it's just, it's also a kind of a more Americanized term. Like you go to the mm-hmm. UK, you don't really hear babe as a common endearment use you hear love or or mm-hmm. in some in scotland some doll hen believe it or not those are are endearments that like you hear but not pet is another one you mm-hmm. don't get babe it's not very common so it's weird to me and it takes me out of the scene and i wish it didn't because the rest of the scene is pitch perfect emotionally it's got that levity when she wakes up he just nails it, every aspect of it. He improvised Babe, obviously. And maybe that's some. Well, I don't it know. could have been in a later version of the script, but I was going to say yeah. I would be interested in knowing what the shooting script had there, whether that was included in the shooting script or if that was just Brosnan in the moment. Yeah, it could have been. Being natural. Yeah. And, and in which case, like, I, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just not natural for steel. It's, right. It's weird <laughs> to hear him say yeah. babe to her. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. It, the rest of it, though, is just and, and then the nothing makes sense except that you're alive and well. And why are you alive? <laughs> like, that's that's perfect. I love that. <laughs> well, Laura begins to rant saying it's steel. And it's the fabric. It's some fabric. Carl and Lila didn't want Julian's film. They wanted the jacket. And that's what Mark was killed for. It's bulletproof, top of the line, light, but stylish. Yeah, I'm going to argue with the stylish part on that. (laughs) I I think bullets would argue with it as well. I mean, the fabric is lousy. (laughs) Yeah, the jacket might be stylish, but the material. eh. Yeah. No, it looks like something that you'd find curtains made out of. (laughs) Yeah. Like, 
Not, not even, not oh, even that reminds me so much of a Carol Burnett bit. Um, <laughs> um, they were doing a Gone with the Wind bit. And oh, the costumer had the brilliant idea of, I guess in, in the movie Gone with the Wind, one of the characters uh, makes a dress out of curtain material. Oh, well, in the Carol Burnett version, they had the entire curtain rod <laughs> over her shoulders, <laughs> the drapes underneath. Oh, it was. Oh. Um, anyway, it definitely isn't uh, so, something that I would want to wear as a jacket. <laughs> well, certainly not as a real formal jacket, but maybe as kind no. of just a informal type jacket. Yeah, I could see it as like a sports blazer, that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. So. Anyway, it's it's the jacket. It's bulletproof. It's stylish, light. And she thinks, Laura thinks, that she knows just the man who can tell them all about it. And Steele, wiping the tears from his eyes and trying to recover his composure after his embarrassing outburst, tells Bullets that, yes, she's quite a lady. Takes a look in and keeps on ticking. I think it's... It- I would only call it embarrassing because she doesn't seem to recognize the level of emotion that he was reduced to. Right. She's so, so into the fact that she's discovered what, what they're all chasing that Mm -hmm. she totally missed the part where he was devastated thinking that she was dead. Yeah. But I, I think also he, he would have been slightly embarrassed just over the fact that he lost control. He's not a person who often loses control. And to just he suddenly totally lose control like that. Yeah. You know, especially where anybody else would see it. Laura, Bullets, whoever. Yeah, it's one thing to lose control when you're all by yourself. Yeah. But, yeah, when, when there's somebody else there who knows that you did. And worse, who knows the things that you just revealed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because he's played that close to the chest very much so throughout this entire, the first two seasons. And she mm-hmm. heard it all. She heard him fall apart. He 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 just, yeah, you're right. He lost control. He poured out everything that he wasn't willing to tell her consciously. And I mean, thankfully, she was so wrapped up in the case that that she didn't really, I don't even know if she if she clocked it. Right. She does say, like, I hate to quit while I'm ahead, but she was all still dazed from being hit. Because obviously, even if you're wearing a bulletproof something, I'm sure it still hurts to get hit with a bullet. Like, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I I would venture to say that uh, you could ask any um, law enforcement officer who's been hit while wearing a bulletproof vest that... Uh, they usually wind up with a really big bruise. Yeah, it's probably like the similar to airbags. Like they protect you in the crash, but they mm-hmm. hurt like a, you know what, when you're hit with them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, an airbag is, is activated by a an, an explosive charge, a literal explosive yeah. charge that is, <laughs> from what I have been able to figure out, is dangerous. It's a dangerous it, uh, Yeah, that's why kids of, of here are not allowed. I don't know what the laws are in, in the U.S., but yeah, in, not in, in the, Ontario. The front seat. Yeah, until the age of 13. Um, yeah. yeah, so that because it could break ribs and do damage. Yeah, yeah. 
So anyway, next we see that the gang is in a lab, and a man in a white lab coat has been examining the material, and he says he is amazed that the FBI isn't beating down their door. Yeah. He tells them that the fabric in question is silicon conductive Kimlar. Is that a real One, thing? That's I, not a real thing, right? I wasn't able to. Okay, I couldn't I find anything either. I don't think I found it <laughs> yeah. anywhere. I, I found some listings for something using that word, but I didn't see anything that, that same, seemed to relate same. to yeah. body armor. So they've obviously just sort of Kevlar, they've taken Kevlar and made Kemlar and kind of hinted that this might be a thing in, in the fictional world, but doesn't yeah. really exist. Yeah. <laughs> but he says it's one of the top body armors in the world, lighter than plastic, but has a flex strength greater than for, uh, little, eh, but has a flex <laughs> strength greater than forged steel. Steel asks if anyone would kill for it. Get the joke there. Uh, yeah, I got it. <laughs> Milton, who's <laughs> The lab tech, we find out his name is Milton, says that, you know, murder, that's not my department. But he does tell them that what they have is a special mutation, something that the Russians would give up vodka to get. It's <laughs> like a superconductor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we we would give up vodka to get it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a superconductor, virtually free of all resistance. If the formula could be derived from the sample and enough material made to, say, skin an airplane, the plane could absorb any free currents in the sky. Now, Laura, trying to understand, asks if he's really saying that a radar beam striking the Kimlar skin would be gobbled up rather than be bounced back to its source. Thick says, not only gobbled up, Binky, Binky, but converted and returned with a bang. And of course, I like how they've got all this info, and the only thing <laughs> Steel zeroes in on is Binky. Yeah, Binky. This is this is what he's heard, and he's like, all this other stuff: superconductor, airplane, FBI, Russians, vodka, whatever. Explosions. Who's Binky? <laughs> Tell yeah. me about Binky. I want to know. <laughs> hey, Laura says, "Hey, you've got your secrets. I've got yeah. mine." <laughs> Here's my question. I like this. Like he says all this stuff about the airplane. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't this was not the first place my mind went? For a fabric like this, like I would think this okay. would make more sense that they would want to use it for their army or or ground forces because you wouldn't have to carry all that weight. Mm -hmm. You could put on something much lighter and it would be and it would like blast it back at your enemies. Right. Like mm -hmm. I would think that this would be something, a tool of war. I, I get that it would be useful on an airplane as well, but I don't know. This just seemed it was seemed like that was a weird, a weird explanation or example to give. Yeah, and it also creates a problem for me. Yeah, I figured like you would have more knowledge on this than I would. So, <laughs> well, because what he says is that when when Laura asks her question about absorbing the energy rather than bouncing it back, he says it would be converted and returned. Yeah, as a bang. returned means back to the back point of origin. At the, yeah. Okay. And I have a problem with that later on in the closing of this. So I'll remind me to come back to okay. that. Yeah, we'll do. So anyway, they make their farewells to Milton, who then leaves them alone. And Bullet says, well, whoever we're after, they're in big, big trouble. Now Steele decides it can't be put off any longer. Yeah. They sit Bullets down. Steele shows him the memo note they found on Mark's body. Laura tells him that whoever hired Mark to steal the jacket must have pointed him in Bullets' direction. Steele points out that the jacket 
it's a very clever way of getting fabric out of the country. And uh, he took the liberty of observing Julian's jacket size. 42 long, I'm afraid. Bullets responds. He's he's almost sorrowful, but resigned. Afraid. Let's fit him for a matching noose. Yeah. I mean, that's... That's cold, kind of. It is, yeah. But back at the mark, Lila's packing up. Uh, looks like she's getting out of there, but Carl shows up, and he's not happy. No. I thought we were partners. I want my share of the money. He grabs her clothing bag and starts searching through it, but she's frustrated, upset, and and with a little bit of a quiver in her voice, she says, what money? Without the blazer, there's no money. And she tries to stop him from continuing to tear through her bag, but he angrily shoves her aside. He pulls out her wallet and finds a mere $200. It's money for her bus ticket. Carl grabs Lila hard, not quite on the throat, but close enough that she's got to realize the possibilities. Yeah, this is a wake-up call for Carl and for Lila. Like, she didn't believe that that Mark was Mm -hmm. dead. She She figured they were feeding her a line. And now she's seeing that Carl is violent. He might not have meant oh, yeah. to have killed Mark, but he definitely meant to kill Laura. So he's, yeah. yeah. And he he may not have meant to kill Mark, but he didn't do anything about it when he did. No, he, he, he didn't he seem just, particularly upset about it. It was just like, whoops, no. okay. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, he says, you owe me. He shoves her hard back against the dressing table. and. As you say, this is when the truth comes crashing down on Lila. And she's got a look of fear and shock. And Mark is dead, isn't he? I hired you to steal a claim check and you killed him. Carl tells her that they've got more than one death to worry about, referring to Laura. And that he's getting out with his skin intact. And if that means selling her to the cops to do it, that's what he's going to do. Carl leaves Lila and heads out toward the stage area where... Laura appears with the jacket draped over her shoulders. And she calls out to him, going somewhere? (laughs) Carl turns, begins walking slowly toward Laura. He pulls out a gun from the front of his pants. Why? Why Why would anyone, especially a guy, stick a gun down the front of their pants? Not a firearms expert by any stretch of the imagination, but it does not take a genius to know that if you've got a thing that shoots off body parts, don't stick it down your pants where there are external body parts. <laughs> yeah, especially body parts that you might be very fond of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, it reminds me of a story. Oh, oh years, years and years ago. I, I think it took place in Vancouver, Washington. There was a story about a guy that woke up in the middle of the night, thought he saw someone at the foot of his bed. Turned out it was his feet. Oh, no. Grabbed the gun. (laughs) Did he shoot his feet off? No. Oh, no. Oh, yes. (laughs) 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 Anyway. Probably wished he'd shot his foot off. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, So, anyway, he pulls off the gun. Laura dives down using the jacket as protection, you know, turning her back to him. Yeah. And Steele jumps Carl. They struggle for a few minutes until Steele gives Carl a knee to a particular spot where guns had previously resided. Yeah. And then he punches him, knocking him out. 
shakes his hand. <laughs> Does the whole, ouch, my hand hurts. <laughs> yes. handshake. Yes. <laughs> Which I always enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Well, then we next see Francois walking down a hallway. And then we see Laura walking down a hallway. And then we see Francois and Laura bump into each other in the hallway. Yep. He asks Laura for an explanation. You know, hysterical model, thug on the showroom floor. Laura tries to put him off, but he's insistent. No, he wants an answer right now. And his right hand has been in his jacket pocket, which he now raises as if holding a gun that's pointed at her. Yeah, but yeah, there's no gun I'd like gun that in explanation there. now. Huh? There's no gun in there, right? Like. No. No. It would ruin no. the line of his jacket. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which Laura is perceptive enough to know and yeah. mentions later on. But, you know, yeah. hey, you got to get the, the the bad guy to make a confession. So you go along with him, right? So sure. they begin to walk down the hall. And as they do, we see Remington and Bullets enter Julian's shop. Julian greets Steele, pointing out that it's rather late to be calling. Then he asks Bullets what he's doing there. As Steele is trying to confront Julian, Bullets picks up a large, somewhat heavy roll of material and hits Steele in the head, <laughs> knocking him out. Bullets angrily tells Julian, Schmutz! Nitwit! You've got two minutes! Run! Well, Julian's confused. Why should he run? Bullets begins berating his brother. It wasn't enough to sell overpriced dresses. You had to sell state secrets. I knew it would come to this with your fancy clothes and fancy friends. Stay, Baron. What you have done to the name of Blaustein. And yeah, this is this is emotional. And I love how it's emotional and funny at the same time. Like, yeah, he hits this perfect note of not being a caricature, but also being really funny. <laughs> like, yeah, schmutz, midwit, idiot. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and stay, a Baron. You know, yeah. you've ruined the name of Blaustein. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's both funny, and, like you say, both funny yeah. and, and sad, sin he, emotionally sincere. Yeah. He doesn't want him to, he, he's saying you can't reclaim your name because you've, you've, you've destroyed it. It no longer has any respect. So, well, it won't if you continue, if you co yeah. go back to using it, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so although Julian doesn't really seem to understand the trouble he's in, he does realize that he's in trouble and he begs bullets to help him out. And Bullets angrily tells him that he just did help him out. I betrayed the best of men, so forget your top secret, Mr. 42 Long, and run. Julian shakes his head says, when was I ever a 42 Long? Yeah, it's really pathetic how he says it, too. Like, <laughs> yeah. Almost like pleading. <laughs> yeah. And Bullets, it's like, 40 regular. And Julian, overcome with sorrow, asked, has it been so long, Bullets? Oh, and that's so, and that's bullets, so cute. Yeah, but, you know, there's a picture dawning in Bullets' mind. Yeah. And he says, then who's the 42 long? And Julian just breaks down. He crumbles. He covers his, he covers yeah. his face with his hand. He's crying into it. Bullets isn't going to let him get away with it. He's not going to let him avoid no. confronting the truth. He says, Julian, this time I'll do more than hide your car keys. This time I'll find the dirtiest <laughs> prison in this country and you will call it home. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, such is the hold that Francois has over him that Julian still cannot bring himself to say anything. 
but he doesn't need to. Bullets yeah, has realized who the culprit out. is. And yeah. Bullets runs out of the shop crying, I give it. Oh, violence. Yeah. A cry for help <laughs> in an emergency. Okay. We really do need a glossary. <laughs> <laughs> Julian starts to run after Bullets, but he stops. I love this line. I, I love this I guess line. after he's... He's, he's not a man of action, so he, yeah. he doesn't do it. But he does chastise the unconscious <laughs> Remington Steele, saying, Wake up, Mr. Steele. It was only taffeta. Yeah. I like that line a lot. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's a little bit like, okay, it was it's only taffeta. It's a soft material, but it's a heavy bolt of material. It's it's <laughs> like, well, how much does that hundred pounds of feathers weigh? Um Yeah, true. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't matter that they're feathers. They still, yeah. Anyway, (laughs) Francois is still walking Laura through the halls and still seemingly holding a hidden gun on her. And Laura's commending him on his cleverness. It was the perfect cover. Your job, a respected international businessman traveling to all the fashion centers of the world, Paris, Milan, Hong Kong for fabrics. And Lila's job was to soften up Mark. Woman's work. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. When, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just agreeing. <laughs> yeah. When he demands the jacket, Laura calls his bluff. As you said, she asks, would a man as elegant as you really carry a gun in that pocket? It yep. might ruin the drape of the jacket. She turns to run, but he grabs her by the hair and jerks her back yeah. and then begins pulling the jacket off of her. But just as this is happening, bullets rounds the corner. Sees what's happening, puts his head down like a bull and charges. Yeah. <laughs> he knocks over Francois, and then he falls to the floor, and Laura falls on top of him. Francois grabs the jacket, gets up, and runs. Now, Bolt is unconscious. I guess 110-pound woman falling on top of him made him unconscious. <laughs> or well, maybe he did, also, he did also drill into Francois with his head. So <laughs> Yeah, that's that's true. And I mean, he but, probably relished the entire experience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, he's laying on the ground, unconscious. Laura gets up, chases after Francois. Steele and Julian appears. Julian stays with bullets, and Steele begins chasing after Laura, and they both are chasing after Francois. Francois comes up to a set of glass doors, which are locked, and Laura and Steele being behind him, he's got nowhere else to run, so he wraps his fist in the jacket, and then hits the glass with his fist to break it. But the doors are wired with an electronic security system. And as predicted by Milton, the electrical energy of the security system is drawn to the fabric with the bang sufficient to kill Francois. This is actually really brutal for this show. We don't normally see... We see people die, but we don't usually see the violence of it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But here's where I have the question, because according to Milton, it directs the energy back yeah, to so the source, like the which would have door the, blow that up or something? electrical <laughs> tape, that electrical yeah. tape would have carried the charge back through the system away from the material. Yeah, you would. That's, it doesn't make sense. You're right. I'm a little confused about that. I, I don't think uh, we're supposed to think too hard about it. it back, <laughs> unless it just bounced it back to the electrical tape locally and then it just kept i I don't know but i I think that was kind of a a weak spot in the story but other than that yeah we'll we'll just hand wave that one yeah 
Next, we're at the office. Laura and Steele are looking through slides. Does no one use chairs? Does no one use chairs on this show? Why is she laying on the desk? That looks like the most uncomfortable position. She's laying on her side on top of the Because you can't lay on the floor. You can't lay on the floor in the office, so you got to lay on the desk. Why not? She lays on the floor everywhere else. Well, I know, but not at the office. I mean, have a little decorum, lady. So, yeah, like drape yourself across the desk. That makes perfect sense. Sure. I mean, where have you been? I mean, this is perfect etiquette. I just, it's its so odd to me. And it's obviously a visual, like it's, it's done intentionally and it's done for visual yeah. appeal. And to be fair... She looks quite, it looks quite, I don't know what the word is. Classy? Comely? Classic? I don't know. Yeah. Of her like laying on the desk while Mm -hmm. he looks through the pictures. It just is such a weird choice. (laughs) Well, anyway, they're looking at the slides from the fashion show. And he comments that although Julian's dresses look terrific, he can't find that slender brunette with the knockout legs. (laughs) As Laura expresses a mock sorrow at missing out on her chance for a Vogue cover. Oh, yeah, she's pretty, she's pretty downhearted about this, clearly. Yeah, depressed. totally broken up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the brothers enter bearing gifts. Steele rips the paper off. And inside is a photo Scarf. of the two brothers together. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, that's probably. Laura. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the two brothers together, probably for the first time in 35 years in a single picture, Steele imagines. And Laura is still working on her package, <laughs> trying to carefully remove the tape so as not to rip I love the this paper. detail about her. <laughs> I, I love that she's this this fits her character perfectly and it, it's just done so she's just kind of like delicately trying to peel it back and, and it makes you so much sense because she reuses it. Right. But then that's Steve right. gets so frustrated by it. He just grabs it from her, rips it off. And she, she yelps in almost shock. Like she's like, yeah. no, and then he's like, she saves the paper. It's just yeah. so cute. And then uh, she grabs it back from him and opens it up and mad. pulls out a pleated a muffler. <laughs> I'm going to go with scarf, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Bullets tells her it's my inspiration. And Julian says, my creation. Steele says, my idea. My idea. (laughs) (laughs) And Laura smiles and repeats Lila's comment from earlier about Sam from Birmingham. (laughs) Oh, you English chaps, you're all so friendly. And then she wraps the muffler around Steele's face (laughs) and covers his mouth with it. Yeah. It's a very cute tag. I like it. (laughs) Yes. Shut up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, it's one of those things where in a show that is on air now, they probably Mm -hmm. would have had something at the end where they address Steele's reaction to to finding her on the ground. But because this is serialized television and because we're not supposed to advance these characters too far, the will they won't they would be destroyed if you do that we just it gets it for it's forgotten about right um but it's a shame because it would have been nice to see some sort of acknowledgement even if it wasn't you know a declaration of love it would have been nice to see some sort of acknowledgement from laura saying so i heard what you said i you might not be willing ready to talk about it yet but the door is open and then Mm -hmm. maybe that could be 
kind of where it ends or I don't know but I do love this I love the 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 wrapping paper gets me I love that (laughs) well you know I'm trying to think I don't think it was in Remington Steel but I have seen it in other shows where and maybe maybe it was one of the episodes the one with the attorney Oh, um, shoot. Where, uh, still yeah. belted. Yeah. Where, yeah. where one character is, is they're drunk or they're semi unconscious or whatever. And somebody's making all these declarations. And afterwards the, the person claims not to know what they said or remember any of it, but yeah. then they say something that indicates that, yeah, they really did hear it all. Yeah, something like that would have been kind of... There, okay, you're going to hate me. There's a Buffy episode for that. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> the whole episode, The one of the main characters is, stay with me now, possessed by a hyena, like the spirit of hyena. And in, okay. in his possession, he, there is a laughter factor, but they eat a live pig. Laughter factor. And then he also attacks Buffy in an attempt to, like, assault her. Uh, And at the end of the episode, when the possession has been lifted, he basically says, did I do anything else? Anything embarrassing? And they all just kind of go, nah. And then as they walk away, Xander says to, or Giles says to Xander, I've been reading up about this possession and I don't see anything about memory loss afterwards. And Xander's like, did you tell them that? And he's like, nope, your secret dies with me. So like, kind of made me think of like that sort of thing, right? <laughs> Not a hyena possession, but still something was revealed about him that was intimate. And as you said, could be embarrassing when he hadn't intended to lose control like that. So yeah, I, I didn't expect any acknowledgement of it, so I'm not disappointed by it, but it's one of those, it would have been nice if this were a TV show made now, they would have probably done something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But. Yeah, if it were a TV show made now, they would have taken it so many di- different directions. And, and I think, hmm, how to say this, I don't have any, complaints other than season five uh, about how the show progressed. <laughs> oh man, when we get there. <laughs> but at the same time, it would have been nice to see what they would have been able to do, what they would have done yeah. had the television landscape and the approach to television been then what it is now. I agree. It's it, You don't want to see, you don't want to see the show lose the will they won't they to an extent Uh but it also sacrifices character development at times in order to keep that will they won't they going and so it would have been nice if they could have found that happy medium where you keep the character development the characters keep going forward and they do to an extent i'm not saying they don't Uh evolve but but also they're able to draw that out as long as they can without it being ridiculous or season five (laughs) and then you know (laughs) Um, yeah, you know, it's the Sam and Diane thing from Cheers. I never understood that because it was, it was, oh, we can't put them together. So let's come up with some ridiculous excuse. Yeah. Yeah. The minute you have Bones, to do that, you're, you, yeah. yeah. I you're don't insulting agree the with, audience. I don't agree with this concept that the characters can't get together or people lose interest. Because if, if your writing is good enough, 
people will still be interested. You just need right. to find other challenges for the characters to overcome. And that's doable. You just got to know how to do it. So right. um, overall, well, this is... Sorry, I, I think ahead. shows like Bones were able to do that. Yeah. I, I know some yeah. people disagree that after the two main characters got together that the, the show lost something. I don't think it did. But you also had other pairings in that show. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You were Hodgins still interested in Hodgins and Angela. Yeah, yep. I mean, you were still interested in those two even after they got together. Yeah, but, I would argue that their their relationship became more developed as they got together. Yeah, but before they got together and before Bones and Booth got together, or Seely and Temperance, um, if you prefer, <laughs> they still found obstacles to stretch it out, but the yeah. obstacles were, for the most part, not absurd. Yeah, no, they, I agree. They with were that. the kinds of I things that, that you could you could say, yeah. okay, I can see that really happening. They fit their characters, and this does w yes. with Steel and Laura too. And overall, this episode is probably one of the strongest of season two. Like, I'm already mentally compiling my list, um, which will change a million times. No, but we're like, not yeah, we're doing that again. We? It's happening. It is happening. <laughs> <laughs> but this is aside from like the minorest of blips, the the technology maybe not making as much sense mm -hmm. and the use of babe in that moment that takes me out for at least that little bit the rest of it is uh, and mildred not being there sorry i have to point yeah. that out as a negative part of the episode because anything that lacks mildred is yeah but the rest of it is just it's a really it's well a good done episode. episode it's a good it's episode a hilarious very strong great episode. characters good yeah. actors i mean all the I'll say the three principal guest actors. Oh, they're all also are fantastic. fantastic. Yeah, Lila is a lesser guest character, but she's still good. I mean, yeah, she, she doesn't come up to the the level of the other three simply because she's not given as much to work with. Yeah, yeah. And Marcus, um, we don't get as much about her temporary, and we do Carl is just kind of a throwaway. But yeah, um, but yeah, the three, the Francois. Julian and Bullets, those three characters and those three actors, amazing. There's a rich Hilarious. backstory there that just elevates the rest of the episode to this this degree that it it's just yeah, it's really good. And and Laura and the and way Steel, the characters and the way the characters' backgrounds are presented, it, yeah. It doesn't feel forced in like, oh, well, we've got to tell you something about this. Okay, well, let's have some pointless exposition. It's exposition, but it's presented well, and it feels natural. It's yes. like it's, – it's not like we're watching a script being given to us. It's like we're watching people that are having a conversation yeah. where this information comes out. Yeah, it's a really fantastic episode. Yeah. So, so. I always enjoy it. <laughs> anyway you got anything else no no i'm done okay <laughs> well then we will mention the website www.steelwatching.com where you will find show notes no amazon link because we did not have a movie we didn't reference. get a movie yeah we got the Sorry. honeymooners i i don't know if you want to link I can, to the honeymooners, i can put that but... in yeah <laughs> uh, yeah no movie reference there's a though. If there's a DVD set for them, I don't know if there is, but if there yeah. is, I'll put that in. 
And then you'll have uh, links to other resources such as the Facebook page, the Instagram page, the Twitter or X <laughs> page, <laughs> as well as the unofficial, officially unofficial Facebook group, uh, the Steel Watchers Facebook group, where we talk about everything steel related and have just a, a generally a good time. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so join us or at least join Sarah. I don't do a whole lot there. I'm not really much of a social media person, but uh, she doesn't adequate. <laughs> we're talking about more the, than adequate. The podcast. Does I was a fantastic like, job. <laughs> does a fantastic job of participating in the group for both of us. So, yeah. Next episode, still eligible. Yeah. <laughs> Barbecue That's anyone? Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Make sure. Okay, wait, wait, wait. We should give everyone a reading assignment before we we stop here. Before we uh, sign oh, off here, everyone needs the to prophet. read. Oh, come the prophet. on. <laughs> um, no, I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not going to go out. I'm not going to find that book. I'm not going to read it. I have no interest. <laughs> all right, that's it. All you steel watchers, that's your homework. <laughs> read the prophet and get back to us. <laughs> <sighs> anyway. All right. Well, if that's it, I guess we'll say bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Eric and Sarah here. Just a quick announcement to let you know that, yes, we do appreciate everyone who listens, participates, and supports the podcast in whatever way you do. But we wanted to give an extra thank you to those who are so graciously giving to be monthly financial supporters. We are making live streams of our recording sessions available to anyone who is a monthly financial supporter. So not only can you watch us live as we record our podcast episodes, you will be getting access to the raw, behind-the-scenes, unedited version of episodes before they get officially released. And Sarah, does that include our mistakes and screw-ups and our humiliating? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it does. Every single one of them. (laughs) Every single one of them, yes. So again, this is just an extra thank you to those who are going above and beyond But whether you choose to become a monthly financial supporter or not, we still love you. We want to say we thank you for your support, your encouragement, and your feedback. If you want to become a monthly financial supporter, please visit our website at www.steelwatching.com to sign up.